I know everybody. I know we're late. We're late. But you can blame that guy right over there because he was driving to France or something today. He had no time all week in Spain. And he doesn't even have his video camera or anything like that there. And he's in some haunted hotel in France somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And he just about has internet connection. What's up? That's right. Always waiting on you. Always waiting on you. But better late than never. Anyway, Joseph, you know what? Let's get on with this. We have a podcast to record. I'm sure you have a lot to talk about. You just came from Buggy Land, your first big race. So uh, let's hit that intro. Nitro is the glory. Welcome to the No Name RC Podcast with your host tonight, Keenan White, a.k.a. Lefty the Great. And if you are unlucky, the Finnish village idiot, JQ. This is the RC Podcast with no name, but plenty of content. So sit back, relax and get ready for some serious bench racing. Yes, indeed. Nitro is the glory, but e-buggy pays the bills. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode number 146 of the No Name RC Podcast. I'm your host, Keena White, a.k.a. Left of the Great. And, well, there we go. We have Beaker over there. He's there. He's there. Somewhat. No camera. Just an avatar of him and his probably one of your best pictures you've ever shot. So that's probably a good picture for you to have. What's up, Joseph? How are you? All good. Uh, this weekend will be MXGP time. So that's always nice. Yeah, I didn't realize you was going to that till you told me today. That's awesome. Um, I know you love that. Uh, who's the favorite to win there this weekend? Um, well, I would say that maybe Hurlings, mm-hmm. even though he did get a bit injured at the last race. So still Hurlings, I would say. Maybe favorite hometown boy since he's French. Sweet, but the French do make some really fast motocross racers as well. So, uh, Muscan, no, not Muscan. Is it Muscan? He's from France, right? Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. He's in America. <laughs> for Andes. Oh my gosh. Anyway, you know what? Thank you guys for joining us. This is episode number 146. I want to shout out and say thank you to all of the NNRC squad around the world. We can't do that without you guys. Thank you for the support. I know we're a little bit late. But hey, we're better late than never. Also, I'd like to shout out and say thank you to the patrons of the NNRC. I greatly appreciate you guys' support, going the extra mile and giving us that, uh, you know, giving us that little bit of things to help keep this, this uh, the electricity on and bills paid and, you know, helps Lefty have, a, you know, some fun in RC somewhat, some way, somehow. So I appreciate that. If you guys wish to be a patron of the podcast, you can. The link is in the written description of this podcast in the link tree link. So uh, thank you to all those guys. Shout out to them. We open up Discord for them. We will open up Discord for all of the NNRC people, but the Patreons have their own spot on Discord that they can chat. And if you are a patron, check it out because you guys should. Discord is pretty awesome. Uh, I'd like to shout out and say thank you to all of the sponsors of the podcast because we can't do it without you guys either. So remember, everybody, sharing the sponsors some love shows the podcast some love. So yeah, let's get them. First up, we have Mayako. We're anxiously waiting the release of the buggy. We'll talk to the man behind that her in a minute and find out what's going on with that 
Shout out to Beach RC. I think they have Dixie Nats coming up, Oval Race this weekend. I'm not sure, but stay tuned. They have the Masters of Dirt, probably going to be one of the biggest 10-scale races of the year happening here in next month. Uh, shout out to TNR Fuels. I see Chris is headed down to the U.S. Open. That's the big race happening this weekend. High Tech RC, RCD, thank you for the charger. It's charging up my batteries perfectly. Uh, Techno RC. Uh, I think Tebow is going to the race. It has Wiggins and Hooks. So I think I'm, I, I want to pick Tebow, but I'm going to stop picking people because I, br- I think I bring them bad luck. So I'm going to stop. Uh, Sun City RC Raceway. The track looks awesome, guys. Everybody have fun on there. If you're there, I don't know when you're going to listen to this podcast. The track looks great. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing some racing from there. Shout out to Lugs Racing Tires. Yes, Lugs Racing Tires brings you over 55 years of combined RC experience. Lugs has been testing... Treads, wheels, and rubber for performance. You can check out the Lugs Econ tires, which are developed for racing budgets in mind. High quality but lower cost means savings can be passed on to you, the racer. They also have their premium line of tires, and they have they are using their custom Lugs modes and the proprietary rubber blend or compound. Tires are available in medium, soft, super soft, mega soft, and now long wear. You can visit www.lugsracing.com and use the promo code NNRCLUGS to save some money off your order. Also, shout out to JQ Scale Motorsports. I'm going to talk to Joseph about that in a minute. Or JQ Racing, shout out to all my JQ Racing family around the world. Shout out to Papa Willie's Traction Tonic, a longtime supporter of the podcast. Thank you to him and all his support. Shout out to Donathan RC, geeking out on my, uh, I'm going to order some more leads here. I need to get some more leads to charge up some more batteries here. I'm all about e-boat right now. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, check them out. We do have a written, we do have a link for that in our written description with a coupon code that you could save some money. So, thank you to Donathan RC. I like Zach. Cool guy. Uh, Racecraft USA, they just released a white block where you can attach your Scott towel or your blue shop towel to, and it's attached to your command module. It looks pretty cool. I like that. Check them out. We have a promo code, so you can save some money on that as well. Shout out to RCGP, House of RC. I want to say a special shout out to the setup app. Uh, I think that's such an important thing. I'm going to keep promoting that because I think we should all get behind that and be using that. So thank you to all the sponsors. We greatly appreciate it. And I just want to say shout out to my boy Raja. He's on YouTube. Uh, it's his birthday today, I believe, or yesterday. Cool guy. Got a really good YouTube channel. Uh, shout out to my boy Raja. I'll put the link to his YouTube channel in the written description as well. So it's late for Joseph. We don't have much time. Uh, Let's have a quick catch up, Joey. So you, I called you Joey. I know you hate being called that, um, but I, that was a mistake. So you've been traveling, man. Back to your first big race. How does it feel? It's kind of mixed, actually. Mm. So it's good and bad at the same time. Okay. So the good thing was that I got the car really good. So this track was a good test because it's completely different to what I've been racing on in Finland. So mm-hmm. high speed, high grip. Uh, it's just very different. So a few key changes and I was comfortable with the car. In the 35 plus main, uh, especially it was really, really good. So I was happy with that. So that's the positive thing. The car was really good. Then the negative thing was I was kind of off the pace, to be honest. Yes, I mean, not even just the one second off, but if you look at the best lap times, it's closer to two seconds. Like, 
I did my best was 38.5 in the race and they were doing 36.9 in the main mm. and, and low 37, mm-hmm. low 37s. So, so one and a half seconds on best lap. So uh, that's too much. Was so, you on suicide watch? No, not really, but it's a bit worrying to be that far off. Seriously. And what makes it worse is that I felt like my car was really good. Well, so to have to face the fact that the the car is really good, yet you are that far off, mm-hmm. that's not good because that's that sort of reflects on me. Well, <laughs> oh, Joseph, I, th- I think, uh, you you gotta understand. Like I I I know how you get faster. You have to you have to go to the track. You have to practice. You have to race every weekend, all that type of stuff. That's how you get faster. You're not a no offense, and I mean this the right way. And I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. You are getting old, right? So that's probably also a factor, even though you don't want to admit it. And you got a lot. You talk about other people that have lots of priorities going on at the same time. Well, you do too. You know what I mean? You have a lot of stuff going on, and like you can't fully focus on racing. Now, I'm not saying that you, I'm not saying you're going to go make, you're going to be absolute crap because believe it or not, you actually, people think you, you aren't good, but you, you are an above average racer. Like you can beat most of the people that hate on you and and talk crap about you. You can beat them on the track, right? You know what I mean? Well, besides the pro guys, um, but Hey man, it's, it's coming to the point. Like your car was good. Your car was good on a track that the old car really wasn't like the G, we're going to talk about the BE here. The BE wasn't, let's be realistic. The BE wasn't really good on high speed, high traction tracks, which was buggy. It was good, but that would be its weak point. Yes. I would say that's it. That was his very much weak. point. Like the kind of track like this, where it's, it's sort of mixed high grip and low grip because it is high grip, but then there's dust also. So when you go offline, there's mm-hmm. dust. And sometimes in some corners, there's dust on the line. So, you are constantly sort of driving it on this track where you could either either sort of almost traction roll or spin out. Oh, okay. Does that make sense? Well, I so it's, it's both things in one. Well, you know, there are sections where you could hit dust and slide, or there are sections where that track is super grippy. So the difference in traction level and the high speed, that's what caused the black edition issues where it, it got a bit sketchy and nervous. But, with this one, it was just so stable and easy for me to drive that I felt confident and comfortable. And that's why I assumed that I would do better. But nah. You know what? Actually, uh, David and I were talking about it, Isherwood, and we just figured out that you just want to be in control of everything so much that you're trying to control everything and you're driving. And we think that if you just let loose, you drive so much better. But that's you. You want to control on a specific place that you want to drive and all this type of stuff. And I think if you just said, screw it and sent it without responsibility, you'd do so much better. That's always that's, my remedy. Yeah. That's kind of how it is because even here, when I did that, that's how I got my best laps. Yeah. So you kind of have to send it a bit more. So not be so in control and patient and calm. Like you just have to go for it. Well, you ain't throw patient the car and calm. around a that's bit more, sure. you know? So, yeah, but that's what comes with time when you have, enough wheel time and practice mm-hmm. and driving under your belt, then that's when that comes. Yes. Also, so. all right. 
We're going to talk more about the race here later on. Uh, let's talk about, all right, can we talk about the Mayako? I actually joined the Discord, and I kind of waited a long time to do this before I got in there, and we actually had one for the NNRC for, for since beginning of the year. I've known about Discord for a long time. I just never used it. And I must admit, I went in there, and I was super impressed with it, and I was like, this is such an awesome tool that I was like, all right, Rowan, Barbarian, you made the NNRC Discord. Let's acti activate it. And I got, you know, I got the patrons in there. I'm, I'm learning how to use it myself. Like, I need to learn another social media platform. I'm already doing a bunch with them already. But I can obviously, I can tell you this, Joseph. I can see how the Discord is server or channel or whatever it is, is going to be a great tool and asset to uh, Mayako. Speaking of Mayako, what is the deal? People, you said September. It's now October. Yeah, it's now it's now officially October. So the it's not it's not bullshit. The the reason really is the global economic situation due to COVID. So the problems that everyone is facing mm -hmm. is that everything is taking longer. So for the production, which is done now, like everything's actually made. Uh, the problem was raw materials, something that would normally take or normally be in stock at mm -hmm. vendors now could take like 30 days or 40 days just to get in stock, wow. right? Then you have to produce the parts. And then another thing that's happening in, in uh, China, for example, is that they are limiting power. So they are having power outages uh, basically weekly. Like oh, almost like randomly, like two days, just no power or something like, and this obviously messes everything up when you can't run uh, the factory unless you have generators, you know, for that, mm. at least to get the computers to run. But if you're manufacturing, that's an issue. And then in addition to that, let's say you get all of that done, then also all the shipping to and from everywhere takes much longer. Also, um, to make a car like this, it's not really like one factory. It's not like X-Ray seems to do almost everything in-house. But mm. over there in Asia, it's more like there might be like 50 different vendors involved in producing a car like this. So then with this situation, a lot of, a lot of those vendors have um, gone out of business, have to find new ones. There are all these sort of unexpected delays that hit at some point. You know, like, uh, for example let's say the chassis, the hard anodizing for the chassis is done in one place. And that's maybe the only, only thing that that one vendor is actually used for. So then right at that point when you're doing that, oh, well, that vendor is no longer in business or they have some massive queue of uh, stuff so they can't get to your Got you. yours for another few weeks. You know, So just everything took longer than expected. And now... Uh, we're actually at the point where like all the final laser engraving is being done and the car is being packed and then shipped off. Sweet. But the, the gears are the last parts that are, that we are waiting for and everything will basically be packed and ready to go and then receive the gears and then the car ships. Yeah. So it looks definitely like it's shipping this month now. So. Dude, it, finally, it, it, it's it, it it's not. It, people just don't get it. Like I was, um, I was talking to one of our, one of the sponsors of this podcast, and they were like, "Yeah, man, what 
it's we're getting killed on shipping, like we're having to fly stuff in. And we got all this stuff coming on the boat, but we're trying to keep stock and we're just, we're, we're getting killed on shipping. Like, you know what I mean? And it's taking so long. Then I'm looking at, even in the in the RC boat world, like I'm looking at, um, like I was looking at the sailboat and it was supposed to be up for, like pre, pre-ordered for September, it was supposed to arrive in September. And then I saw him make a post and like, like have a map with all the different ships and like, you know, of the different ships. And they're like, yeah, our, the sailboats are out here somewhere. So you just got, you got containers, like you got big giant, ships full of containers of product not just rc stuff but just product in general that isn't getting to let's say to america because this is the main hub for, yeah for they are queuing up to get into the harbor that's insane you that's know? insane that's yeah. insane but that's that's just how it goes and I, I think people just don't believe that so you you should though because it's the truth um but i'm looking forward to it uh i can't i hope you didn't put nothing crazy engraving on my chassis like to tease me but uh, yeah, I'm getting excited to see it. I, I saw some pictures in the Discord, and I keep telling people all the time, like, what do you what do you think about this car? And what do you think? I said from the pictures that I've seen so far, I think this is going to be one of the easiest cars to work on. And um, I know that was one of your missions when doing that. So yeah, congratulations! Wow, that noise is even louder now. Just to try and control that somehow. Um, all right. Also, uh, I started your course this week as well um i got through the first couple of sections i know you don't a couple of the sections aren't finished yet because you have to finish editing some videos but yeah. I, I know people's gonna say i'm swinging off you you're nuts again but i have to say joseph the the editing and the the attention to detail that you have put i can see why you was like these videos are taking so long because man like the engine tuning video was so deep like and then I and then you went then it has like another I think it was like idle gap then you did a whole chapter on idle gap I haven't made it past that yet but wow um congratulations and the breaking video is still uh, not released because for the breaking video you can see the Mayako buggy without the body uh, so then I can't release it yet <laughs> I didn't uh, even think about it at the time but yeah I have to wait for the Mayako buggy to be publicly released and then I can release that video. Yeah, it's it's really good. I, I honestly, people may think that, well, like, I'm just, like, it's good. Like, honestly, I know there's some stuff, like some basic stuff that people might already know and all that type of stuff. But talking to others that have probably gone through the, almost the whole course so far, they're like, well, guys, like, I learned more on this course than I did in 20 years of RC. So it, it's really good, man. And I think, honestly, I'm going to tell people, like, you should probably spend money on doing this course instead of like having everything matching in your pits. Like, I know that's cool too. Don't get me wrong. I like yeah. all that too. If, if, if your goal is to learn to drive better and do well, yeah. then yes. I would, I would say give it a chance. And if you're a new, if you're a beginner, well, I didn't, like a lot of the beginner ones were missing. Like you said, the engine break-in and stuff like that. So it's, it's an ongoing, ongoing growing organism of, of, of virtual yeah. life. That's all I can, how I can explain it. So, well done, yeah. Joseph. Well done, man. You have definitely taught yourself how to edit. Like, like that's that's your that's your artistic superpower, man. There you go. You know, the maybe ability, ability to, to put your mind to things and do things like that. Well, I know you're pressed for time, Joseph. We do have a bunch of questions, um, so I think we should just go right into the questions and ask them, and uh, yeah. and uh, move on and get on to talking about the race. And we have a few news items to talk about, but nothing too serious. So you know what, guys? We're going to go right into the Beach RC Bench Racing 
Q&A. Thank you to BeachRC for their support, and thank you, everybody, that sent questions. BeachRC.com, the racer's one-stop online hobby shop. Choose from all the popular brands and variety in stock with super fast shipping and great customer service. BeachRC.com still has the local hobby shop feel with all the benefits of the internet. BeachRC.com is the exclusive distributor for Ultimate Racing, JQ Racing, Pro Circuit Racing Tires, Nitro Lux Fuels, and Assault RC Performance Products. So, fill up your cart and check out at BeachRC.com today. Thank you to BeachRC for the continued support. Remember, guys, we do have an affiliate link. It is in the link of this uh, podcast. If you guys can check it out and uh, use it, it helps us out, and we appreciate it. All right, Josie, let's get into some questions because I think everybody was excited to have you. This has been a while since you've been on the podcast, like almost a month, I think. So people are ex- excited to have you back on. So we have quite a few questions for you, dude. Are you uh, ready for some questions? Okay. Oh, my gosh. that Your, your audio. So by the way, people, Joseph's doing this off his cell phone. I feel like we've gone back in time 1.5 years now, Joseph. We're, good. we're coming on. Well, three, I'm sorry. We're coming on three years of doing this, and you just put us back 1.5 years. But anywho, it's, it's, it will get it. All right. Quick question we have from Matt Dixon. What's up, Matt? My buddy up in, uh, in, in I think it's in Ontario, up in Canada. In low grip conditions, would there be a benefit in removing this rear sway bar altogether versus running a thinner bar? No, you wouldn't want to remove it altogether. I assume this is 8 scale. Yes. On buggy. Mm-hmm. On yeah, the JQ, no, it's a JQ driver, so. The 8 scale buggies need the added support that, uh, sway bar or anti-roll bar gives otherwise they would just collapse on the rear outside tire constantly when you start to accelerate so no you wouldn't you would never want to remove it the thinnest rear roll bars that i sort of ever see is really Mm 2.3 personally i never really go below 2.4 very rarely even use 2.4 so i use 2.5 or 2.6 Okay. It's pretty much it. Our next question is from Benjamin James. What is it going to take to get more top Americans moving up to the higher classes, like modified in both on-road and off-road? Well, I think that's, I don't know too much about on-road. I know there are a lot, I, I don't know if, I think there are a lot to run stock and modified in on-road. I don't know. Um, so I can't, I can't talk about that. But in off-road, I think all the top drivers in America do run modified. The guys who are the guys who are in stock, I guess he's talking about guys who don't want to move up from stock, like born a crime. I think he ran stock again this weekend. I'm not sure. Um, did he, he really? I I believe he did. I have I believe. What's wrong with that guy? He ran stock at this week on carpet of all things. So what are you doing, Joseph? What what's wrong with him? Why is he running stock? Well, he's gonna run mod in the new year, I think. He did run mod the other day, but he ran. I think he had to go up there and he think he had to run stock. So, um, I don't know what it's gonna take. I I, I honestly think modified is actually kind of dying. Like you know what I mean? So, I don't know. What's your opinion on that, Joseph? Well, I think stock should be for people who are starting out, mm-hmm. and then when you have experience, you run modified. And then maybe there should be some um, 
class that is for the people who have this as a hobby and they just enjoy it. They don't take it too seriously. Uh, they don't, you know, get special batteries and pink pinions and charge their batteries at a billion amps <laughs> to get the last power out of them. You know, that's yeah. not the point of stock. The stock is like, it's lower speed. I can handle this. This is easy. I just race a few weekends every few months, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, that's what stock if is that's supposed stock, to be. That's fine. But when it becomes super competitive and there's someone who's a, already a good race, a good driver running stock, I, I, I don't see any point in it. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. It's a shame we're not seeing more people bumping up to modified and, and running modified. I, run, run modified with your stock car. Why not? Just put a lot higher turn motor in there and run it with that. Why wouldn't you do that? Like, I don't understand it. I, I, just, I just feel like that's a... We have the perfect scenario there. We have a beginner's class in stock, and then we get, you know, amateur class in stock, and then you can move up to pro, which is modified. And we just don't even take advantage of it. I wish offer, I wish Aitsko had something like that. But we don't. So I don't know what it's going to take. Yeah. Just start kicking these people out of stock. Like, if make these people, like, if you lose, if you win the stock nets, that's it. No more stock for you. You got to go to mod. Like, simple as that. If you should make the top three in, yeah, I don't know, not top three. I know everybody wants to run it. Um, ah, this, this was actually a popular topic this week. Uh, Evan Osborne, what do you think uh, of the Mugen's new active shock tower for their touring car? Do you think this concept would be any benefit on off-road cars, maybe for a bumpy track? So have you seen this, uh, active suspension, uh, active shock towers, Joseph? I mean, I just heard about it now this week, but I haven't, uh, I haven't looked at it to see how it works. Okay, so I asked I asked Alex how this works, Hagberg, uh, and he gave me his opinion on it, like what he thinks it's for. Because I wasn't sure either, then Max kind of showed me what it was, and um, he said, it basically works in a way where you drive over a big bump or curb or something, and the active shock tire will help absorb the bump instead of everything going through the shock absorbers. And he says, uh, he says the reason is the M2C has a quite stiff suspension, and wheel rate geometry, which forces them to run softer springs to make up for that geometry. So what it is, it looks like, so they want it, so when it goes up on those bumps, they want that wheel to come back down as fast as possible, right? And what happens is with that active, like, so imagine this is, I guess, so you're looking at the car, so the active shock towers move up and down like that too. You know what I mean? I guess you can see, you can see it. Yeah. So it just helps force it back down faster. You know what I mean? When it goes over those bumps and all that stuff, so the, the, the car can keep constant uh, contact patch to the, get, get constant contact patch to the asphalt or whatever they race on. So I think, I don't know if you can see that in off-road though, because I think like the rigors of off-road, eight scale, maybe maybe 10 scale might be able to do it, but the rigors of eight scale off-road are just so immense. Like, you know what I mean? That having more moving parts like that just makes it really difficult to, uh, to do things like that. What's your opinion on that, Joseph? Yeah, I'm not sure something like that would work, but I remember there was this crazy Greek Manolis who made his own 10-scale cars and raced the Euros with them. Oh, really? And one one year he had a car where the front shock tower was attached with one screw mm -hmm. and he would uh, sort of pivot around that screw. Oh. So you had the shocks, you had the suspension, but also the shock tower was able to rotate. But uh, oh, like like well, this maybe, a little bit like this, like 
like if you were yeah, yeah, yeah. Like exactly pivoting yes. at your hips kind of thing if you yes pressing, yeah. yeah so the shock tower was able to pivot and the front shocks worked as normal also oh wow so, so <laughs> maybe okay so maybe that idea can work in some world but on his car his car just wouldn't go straight so it, it uh yeah it didn't work for him oh interesting but so, i do remember that so, so your buddy jeff keaton our good friend is coming back to racing he told me and um he said he's gonna come on the podcast again here soon too so he says he misses talking to you joseph so he's coming back one day uh when he gets back okay. fully into racing but he wants to know with horizon hobby buying up all the top brands over the past couple of years and several brands going under how big of an effect will it have on pay drivers this silly season I think it's more than just Horizon that's going to have an effect on pay drivers this silly season. <clears throat> My little, I'm already got rumors. I'm already got people telling me that one top driver is going to be either completely out of RC next year or doing it part time and working full time, like in a non RC capacity. I'm hearing that's possible. Oh, no, Ryan Lutz. No, I'm not saying names who it was, but um, I just heard that. I don't know how true it is or whatever, but I definitely think that we can see we're gonna see maybe one or two drivers maybe maybe not next year maybe maybe in the next two years it's just so much competition out there i think like that's the problem there's a lot of fast guys out there that'll yeah that want this and in addition to that with the possibility like for example maxima now pulling out Mm -hmm. maxima not paying drivers uh there can be other brands who do the same thing for example Agama slash Nima Racing, they aren't really doing that anymore, mm-hmm. at least as much as they used to, where they had a number of paid drivers, right? They, they had Lutz, they had Bloomfield, they had these guys, right, mm-hmm. in the past. Not really anymore. Uh, there could be more brands also that scale down on their what paid they, driver. I think they have like uh, teams. Brandon Rose and... Much more yeah, but they, those guys aren't paid. I, I really don't think so. Right, not, not paid so, yet. Yeah, so there will be a situation where there are less less teams that have a paid driver position or less paid driver positions out there, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you have a number of young drivers coming up who will start winning more races where the situation will be that if you are one of the older guys not winning anymore, mm-hmm. but you are paid, then there's a young guy who needs to be paid and he's winning. Well, what's going to happen? You're going to lose. You're going to lose out at some point. You have to. Yeah. Like I think Hara. So. There was, there came a point where, okay, Hara couldn't get anything anymore. You know, like that's going to happen to some of these guys who we just think about like, well, they are paid professionals. They're always in the main. Yeah. But they aren't winning the mains. Mm-hmm. So what about when these kids start winning the mains? You know, all these... Uh, like Mason Fuller the uh, other like day. That. Yeah, Mason Fuller and what's the associate, Aiden Horn and all these guys, right? Look at Yeah, them. yeah. All these guys, when they start winning and displacing these older guys, uh, I think the, the brands really have to think about who they are paying yeah, and why. I, actually, Aiden was... Aiden, I, that is like turned into my, I really like him. He gets it. He's a good person to be. He's fun. He has fun. He did something. He did like a, some vlogging. He was at this, uh, the INSJ concepts race this past weekend. That he's got, he gets it. Like, and he, he, he's having fun and all that stuff. And then we're not even, 
that's not even talking about the European guys. You know what I mean? We got a whole bunch of talent coming in over there. We got the Killicks, who I actually talked to Berkan, you know, uh, that's coming up in a future podcast. And 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 he's only 15, and Borak, he's 17. And then you got, like, Parente and all these Italians and then some English guys and then obviously guys from, like, France. It's it's There's a lot of young talent out there. And it, when they start beating these guys, these companies are going to have some, like, they're going to be like, oh, we... And then it's going to be like what what they can afford. I think each company can only really afford to have two top paid drivers, and I don't think they can yeah. afford to have more than that. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, anything else to add to that before we move on? No, that's it. All right, Chris Barry, big supporter of the podcast, man. Thank you for rocking the um, Nitrous to Glory shirts and decals. Cool dude up there in Adrenaline and RC Raceway. He wants to know with the amount of adjustability on the Miyako. Would it be still? Would it still be a good chassis for a driver with less setup abilities? Uh, yes, because the fact that you have adjustability doesn't mean that you have to use it. So the basic setup is very good and stable, and then there are a few key changes you make for different tracks and what you want. But if you are a top racer, and you, or even if you aren't a top racer, but you are good, and you your interest lies in adjusting the car and perfecting it for yourself, then you can do that because all the adjustments you need are there. So for an inexperienced guy, it will be good because there's going to be so much valuable information for you. So you just build the car with a standard setup for the kind of track that you are racing on. And then there are a few key adjustments that you know uh, that effect of and that's those are the few things you change depending on the track and that's it yeah and then for those who want to do more there's a whole lot more that that you can do trust me chris i've been in a discord chat there is a whole bunch of nerdy science stuff going on there so if you like that stuff and you want to learn about this stuff that's a good place to learn it it's like just stuff going right over my head i'm like okay it's too much nerds in her i'm out of her you know what I mean? I mean that in a respectful way, guys. I'm only joking. Um, but it's it's just so beneficial. Like you will be able to get I'm just I'm seeing guys helping out each other now with just like their cars, you know, the JQ cars that some guys are running, or even some guys are running non-JQ cars and people are helping them out in the Discord. You know what I mean? There's some smart dudes in there. So you got you got some smart guys behind you right there, Joseph. Um, and the Discord has so much more potential for when everyone actually exactly. gets their cars and starts race start racing because uh, the way it is, it's 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 like building a community online. Mm-hmm. So the same way you would pick up your phone and look at Instagram or look at Facebook or whatever, you can pick it up and look at the Discord. And in Discord, you have uh, sections where, let's say, it's a weekend and people are racing, so they can have live videos from the race or live calls, talking about setup, asking questions that what should they do. Mm-hmm. You know, the track looks like this, showing a video of the track, and then people can give ideas like you should try this and do that, you know. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, a really tool. good way of connecting everyone. It's a powerful tool. I wish I would have yeah. jumped on it sooner because Rowan was like, man, I, I'm sorry. And guess what? When fa- Remember Facebook, WhatsApp, everything went on? Was it last week or this week? That was this week. It was this week. Yeah, Yeah. like nobody can communicate with anybody. Uh, Discord work. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That was cool. All right. uh, Just get it, Chris. Just get the Mayaku car. You'll be all right. 
Connie Swenson. What's up, Connie? House of RC. He wants to hear your take on the different brands that performed at Buggy Land. Some, why some cars struggled seems like all the, well, it does. All the pillow cars did well. Max actually called, Max actually called that. He said all the pillow cars, pillow ball cars will do well and Angara will win. And the HB and, and others were hard to drive, like the HB, TLR, and all that stuff. Do we want to cover this in the in the race report? I think we should cover it in the race report. Yeah. Yeah, let's, let's do that. Let's cover it then. All right. SJ Shantler. It's, uh, we just answered this. It's October. still no Marco. Not even some new to keep us going. Why? Because you ain't in the Marco. This, you, ain't, you didn't join. It's, you, don't show, you don't show your pan before it's out, in it? You show it when it's ready to be sold to the public. That's what yeah. I would say. Edward PXF. What's up? I remember this guy. I think he lives in Ireland somewhere. JQ, what tire brand are you using at the moment? And have you tried the seismic, seismic tires? If so, what do you think about them? Uh, now I'm just using whatever. I used Hot Race at this uh, buggy land. Mm-hmm. Hot Race, Amazonia. And then for Reds GP, I hear that seismic is the tire to use on that track. So I'm going to try them over there. So you're like David Ronafog now. You can run anything. Yeah. That's good. I remember when Greg told you to, to do that, like years ago. You know what I mean? It's like, oh. yeah, it, it is the best way to do it if you can manage, yeah. if you can afford it, if you have the contacts, if you have the support. Yeah, it's the best way. Yep. Captain Carl Vushanek. What's up, Captain? I had a good conversation with the captain here. I'll give you a good topic. There's nine tracks in Southern California within 100 miles of each other. Is that a good thing or a bad thing for the hobby? Last week, JBRL had only 76 drivers. That's an extremely low count. Coincidence, the opening of the Paris dirt track. How many tracks is too many tracks? How many times can you slice the pie and still have enough to eat? Well, I think a lot of people don't go JBRL because they were going to US Open. That's happening this weekend. But I've asked this question because, you know, like, Joe has opened up his track. You got Thunder Alley. You got Revelation. You got um, that other track in Victorville, which is a part-time track. You got uh, how many tracks did he say there are now? There are. Let's see. Sorry, my eyes. Not. Um, there are nine tracks in Southern California. So we have Thunder Alley, Paris, Revelation, Palm Desert. Um, I'm missing one. I'm missing four. Sit five. Well, Joseph. I wasn't paying attention. Yeah, you never pay attention. Well, I, I, I don't know, Carl. I, I, I wonder if this SoCal scene can support all those tracks. You know what I mean? It's It, it doesn't seem like they can. Uh, but this is not a uncommon problem. This seems to be hap- This happens a lot of where, like a lot of places, like in the Carolinas, they had so many tracks at one point that everybody was you know racing on top of each other and stuff like that i think what we do in rc is we put the cart before the horse we think we need to build more tracks to get more people into rc which i think is the opposite way around when you build more tracks you just spread out it doesn't get more people into rc it just spreads out the little bit of rc people that you have and then tracks other tracks close we need to be getting more people into rc and then we can have more tracks so yeah it's, it's going to be interesting to see and i i just think like I wonder myself, like, how long is, I don't know how long, Paris looks great and all that type of stuff, but how long is it, can it be supported? Like, well, any and of those how tracks. how long will Joe, Joey want to do that? Exactly. How long will he want to do it? This isn't, 
this isn't the like 1990s and the 2000s and it's just and it's just like you know Hammett back then you know what i mean and it was yeah. just that track and it's 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 changed a lot and it's going to be a struggle to get people to races like you know what i mean so that's just a struggle not just to socal it's a struggle in other areas as well um matt leachy he wants to know did you ever do the video trial with putting a gyro in your nitro buggy joseph no there are a few videos that um i really want to do and will do uh when i have time so first i need to finish that uh 10 scale comparison because i did everything except the video <laughs> i need to put that together then i want to do the gyro thing comparing uh, lap times and see what how how much a gyro actually can help and then i want to do a tire test where i select one type of tread from all the different brands and i compare them okay. that could be a really interesting video so yeah. i want to do those all right danny newman i haven't spoke to danny in a minute should more pro class racing be on a control tire or would that be better a better concept for sportsmen of course it wouldn't be great for the tire companies but just for the racing aspect i am all for spec tire I don't really want spec tire in the pro class because I think that's like Formula One. That should be open. Maybe but Formula One isn't open. I know. Sorry, I, that was a bad example. <laughs> um, but it's. I think it should. I think it should be open. I definitely am. I, I just. I. I just think that. Like I'm all for spec tire after seeing it at RCGP and how many like RC two and how many tires guys went through. Like one guy said, I went through two sets of tires the entire weekend, and I got more runtime than I've ever had. I am all for spec tire. I would like to see the pros do spec tire too. That would that would be interesting too. Then um, we can see whose setup ability is the best. Yeah, That'd be interesting. So there are a few different things about spec tire. So I think that on for most races there shouldn't be a spec tire rule. That the spec tire is most beneficial for the big races that people travel to that's where it saves the most money because if if you're going to if you're traveling to the other side of the world or the other end of the country for some big race you're flying there that's where it starts costing money if you care about your racing you want to do the best you possibly can you need to have the right tires most of the time they aren't available at the race so you have to buy them first uh, which means that you either have to ship tires or have an extra bag or something so you have a lot of tires with you so you've invested in a bunch of tires of which you will only use a few and most likely you won't have the right ones anyway that's how it always goes so having a control tire for a race like that makes it a lot easier for the racer they save money and time and stress about tires and can just focus on having fun and setting up their car so for races like that spec tire is very good where spec tire isn't so good is let's say a local race if you want new people to join you'll be forcing them to buy tires they might have a ton of tires but if they are all not that spec tire, they can't race them. So you are forcing 
new people getting into racing to buy an entry and the tires, which is more expensive. So you have to think about that. And then also at the other end, when you talk about like a world championship, for example, or European championship or pro class, that's where you are working with a tire brand as a sponsor, for example, or the brand you race, you set your car up for that. And then at the other end of the spectrum, when you have a big championship, like world championship or European championship, then drivers have their own tire sponsors. They set their cars up for a particular tire. Like all the different brands should be allowed to compete for that title. So there's that to consider also. So if it's a control tire, then tire brands don't compete to win championships because it's a control tire. So there's that the, the sort of open class, like the RC2 class of RCGP. No-brainer, spec tire, because you want people to travel from all over to that race and do that uh, as cost-effectively as possible. So have a spec tire. That, that makes sense, like DNC, open class, spec tire, or even a race like that is a bit questionable. It's not a world championship, you know? It's just a big race. So for something like that, everything could be spec tire. It's, it's just a matter of opinion at that point. But definitely, I think, for races like that, the big races people travel to, non-pro classes, spec tire would be the best way. Great question. David Sandante, Sandate. at one time, on-road cars were getting very expensive. Then Yokomo came up with a plastic tub on-road car fully loaded with bearings, and I believe it wins the Reedy race. And that chassis costs $150 to purchase. It changed the game a while before cars became ridiculously expensive again. Would you like to see that change again with a more affordable buggy that can bring racers back to a, back races back to an affordable price? If an Atsushi Atsushi, excuse me, won the zero eight the two thousand and eight Worlds, his edition came out and it was three ninety nine ninety nine, and it seemed HB grew fast. Would this be a good change for the industry? <clears throat> I don't think you're gonna. I think uh, also we're talking about two thousand eight. That was what? Uh, how long ago, Joseph? My math's off. 10, 12, 13 years ago. <clears throat> Prices yeah. were a little bit different back then. But definitely, I would like to see. Um, definitely, I would like to see something for beginners to get into. I don't know if where you could do that with an eight scale, maybe a really good eight scale e buggy. But I mean, we've had so many different examples of that. Like just like we talk about it, like slash and short course and all that stuff. But what happens is just just people. Just ruin it, man. Just ruin it, and, and the racers ruin it because they want tires and they want this and they want that and they want they want this and that, and then the companies just cater to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but what we need is uh, sort of the big classes like eight scale nitro, eight scale electric, for example. Mm-hmm. We need a car that is competitive, so it's good enough to go out there and race. So it's not some ready to run. Mm-hmm. It's not a Kyosho MP9 ready to run. You know, it is a car that is capable of going to an eight scale race and winning the pro class. Mm-hmm. Like if, if you gave it to Mayfield, he could win that, that kind it's not what he would, it's not his first choice, but he could. Mm-hmm. 
Do you see what I mean? I agree with you. I agree with you. And make a car like that, make it affordable, and that's how people can enter racing. Mm-hmm. Same thing could be done for 10 scale yep. off-road also, or on-road. So <laughs> it's not the cream of the crop, all the bling, most expensive thing. No. There are ways to make a car like that, design a car like that, where it's affordable, but it doesn't have to be um, so downgraded that races look down on it and think like you can't race with that. Yeah, you need this other you. thing. You know, it needs to be good enough to race, good enough to take it as far as you want in racing. Yet it's affordable. That we need that. Yeah. We yeah. need to lower the. Um, we need point. to make it easier for people to enter racing. Yeah. The gap between the basher and the racer is too big. I would agree with you there, one hundred percent. Robert Masco is another silly season question, but I'll ask it. I think we kind of covered this. So, if the seeming surge of new talent coming through Europe and USA, eight scale buggies talking about, is the set is the silly season going to get more interesting? Where will manufacturers expand teams and give the upcoming drivers less of a deal, or do they risk losing fresh talent to a higher bidder? I think next silly season. You're gonna um I think I think you're gonna just see maybe guys getting just less period, like you know what I mean? Especially on the tire side of things. I I don't I don't see bidding war maybe not bidding wars going to people because I I hate to say this, but I just think we're getting to the point where we we don't see uh just a professional driver generating sales for your car. Some some do, yes, some do. But it takes a lot more than just a driver to to sell cars. It's it's a whole because that's what it comes on to at the end of the day to sell product, right? <clears throat> we we you get these drivers to win with your product to sell it. But it takes more than just winning. It takes more than just that. It takes and it and it takes a lot more than that. It it especially in this day and age, you can't be the introverted in your corner. I'm not talking to anybody. I don't want to speak to anybody. I had a bad run. You got to be like a character and all that type of stuff. I just don't. I see this, and, and this young talent that we're talking about, we like them and they're fast. They have to win. You know what I mean? Second, third, top five, make, like you said, making the finals, they have to win. When they start beating the older guys who have earned their, their rights to be there, like Mayfield, Tebow, even though Fenn's young, he's still a veteran, and these guys, when they start beating these guys on the regular, then, or, you know, then they can, their, their game, their value goes up. I, I know a lot of guys, I think their value dropped. Like, their stock dropped this year. Like, you know what I mean? They, they were fast. They were good in 2020. And I just think their stock plummeted this year. You know what I mean? There's a lot of top uh, young guys that I saw in America that weren't making mains and stuff like that this year. So, it's going to be... I think we're going to see a lot of penny pinching in this upcoming silly season. Honestly. I don't think you're going to see big contracts being thrown out and a lot of money because companies just don't have it. Yeah, I think there will be some big moves this silly season because with with COVID and everything that's been happening in the world and RC, I would expect some some big moves to happen. When you mean big moves, what do you mean by that? Like just big moves as in this person going to run for a company that you didn't think they would? Yeah, like how when Cavalieri went from 
uh, went to S Works, then he went to TLR. Like that was a big move, you know. And, right, they're uh, gonna go. Who's uh, gonna pay him? Testman, yeah. Testman went uh, to X-ray, hot hot race, and X-ray, and these kind of things. Like we're gonna see some big moves, I think. I think we're gonna, but I think we're gonna see big moves, but out of necessity, not out of yeah, not out of. Because they're going to pay more. You know what I mean? I think they're going to be like, hey, yeah, I have to get what I can get. I think, I yeah, because like we've spoken a few years already, like there, there are companies who need to change the way they are working, right? And with that comes the necessity for some to switch or they choose to switch. So I, I would expect something like that to happen. Yeah. And then, and still, you got the young guys nipping at their heels, man. I, I think, yeah, I think you're gonna see. I just we talked about. It. I just think you're gonna see a lot of changes, but not in the way we think we're gonna see it. You know what I mean? And not because of certain reasons. Guys are gonna be like, I need to get a paycheck. I'm getting wherever it gives me a paycheck. That's what they're gonna do, and that's what it's gonna come down to because guys need to make a paycheck. All right, on to some Instagram questions real quick. Hyperfox 2.1, what's up, dude? When my subscription expires and if I don't renew, do I lose all that on there? He's talking about the invisible course. Is my hard drive swiped clean? $400 hard-earned American dollars flushed down the drain. <clears throat> I don't know who this guy is, but he's definitely funny. He's asking about the uh, invisible speed course, Joseph. The course, yeah, it's valid for three years, so... After that, you lose access. He says, are you going to swipe my hard drive? All right. Yeah, well, <laughs> the thing there is that uh, you can probably screen record them or whatever, but you won't get any of the updates. So there will be some really good updates. And also, when you get that full course, you have access to a Discord server. And that's obviously really helpful, mm -hmm. just like the Mayako one is. Uh, so you want to have access to that. And you need the course to have access to that. So I don't think it's too much to ask that uh, you get uh, $400 every three years, right? If you're really into that. If you're really into racing, you want the best information, you want to learn, then $400 every three years is not really that much, I think. <clears throat> there you go, Hyperfly. He actually has two questions. Jao Mello, top five drivers in the Bugliam on balls. When will JQ convert himself to balls? Never. You see, that's the beauty of the Mayako. So I run balls substitute. I, I'm not into the balls, but. Uh, you got fake balls? Fake balls are pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So. There are two different front ends on the Mayako. You can run the traditional C-Hub, which is a not zero KPI or just a bit. And that, that drives like your Black Edition, your Kyosho, your HB, a C-Hub car, right? So you have good off-power steering, uh, responsive nature of the car, point-and-shoot style driving. Yeah, that's how it drives. But then you have a second set of C-hubs, and the design of that is actually made to work similarly to a, a pivot ball car. 
So it transforms the feeling of the entire car. So now you have a car that's very neutral, off-center, so smooth initial steering, less off-power steering, um, a lot easier to drive on tracks like that. You still have steering because it's very good on, on power. Uh, you can drive the car say, more safely on power. It doesn't want to catch stuff. It doesn't want to flip over. So that track that we just were at, the buggy land where the pillowball cars dominated, I ran that front end on my Mayako. So I was essentially running a pillowball car there. But if you look at it, it looks like a C hub. So that's the beauty of the Mayako. You have the choice. If we go to Harper Adams near buggy race, you know, maybe I would prefer the C hub style because I like to drive calm and off power, yet have that steering in the tight corners. I don't want to be sort of aggressively throwing the car into the tight corners. I just want it to rotate, turn. So I'd run the other C hub there. That's something you can do on this car, which you can't really do on the other cars as effectively and well as this. Okay. Cool. I know that, but <clears throat> I can't, I'm, I'm interested to see if that really works on like people like me who are plebs and squids who can't really drive. Yeah, it does. All right. Hyperfox has another question. He asks, he loves Max. Not really. He asks, is Mighty Mouth Max more going to run the Mayako car? I think he's happy with his associated car. How does Badier always come from the back of the pack in the mains? I think he, first of all, his setup is such that it sort of works the best after a while, not in the first few minutes. And also I think he's driving. He sort of, the way he drives, he needs to get in a rhythm and he can do that in the longer main. Sweet. Sweet. I think so too. I thought he was going to do it this weekend, to be honest. I thought he was going to come back in a minute, but he didn't. Yeah, me too, because very early on, he somehow got into third place. Yeah. I was like, holy shit, like Robert's coming. And he started back in the pack somewhere. Yeah. But I wouldn't know. I couldn't really happened. watch it. So that's going to be one of my rants here in a minute. Uh, all right. Fred Costa, I believe he's from Brazil. Why spacing the link on the rear tower affects rear traction? It's like, I, I don't know if he's talking about the, like how you, I don't know if he's talking about the, do you space the link or is he talking about the? Well, uh, let's just assume that he is correct. I'm talking about link. So the reason is that uh, if you have watched any of my videos, by now you will know that as a car corners, there are forces that travel through the upper links and the lower arm. So the outside tire, if we just focus on the rear end of the car now, it's easier. So the outside rear tire, if there was no upper link, the tire would just flop on um, into positive camber so that the wheel would fall over outwards. So the upper link is actually pulling on the chassis. Right? Mm -hmm. Do you understand what yes. I'm talking about? Yes. And you're talking about so the jacking? Now, yeah, it's, this was explained yeah, in the jacking video. So what he means is if, if you change that location of that uh, link when looking from above, so let's say you are 
spacing it forwards or backwards, something like that. You are angling it. If if that link is on the hub, if it's in front of the axle, as it's pulling, it's twisting the hub, right? It's twisting it into towing. Am I making sense? Mm-hmm. You're looking at the car from above. You know that the upper link is pulling on the chassis. So there's tension in it. Now, if it's in the middle of the, when viewing from above, if it's absolutely smack bang in the middle of the hub, it won't twist it in any direction. If it's in front of the axle, as the link is pulling, it's twisting the hub into toe in. It's twisting that rear hub into toe in. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So when it's in the middle, so, it doesn't twist. So when you are spacing, yeah, no, no, exactly. There's no momentum to twist it in any direction. So that upper link, uh, the location of it and the direction of it co- uh, affects how the forces are twisting the rear hub. All right. So Linux. that's why it can affect uh, on-power grip also. All right, I wasn't sure if he was asking about that or the spacing in the shock towel, you know, the the five mil standoff. Yeah, and another thing is that another thing is that when you angle the link like that, it changes um, the camber gain because now the link is traveling around a slightly different arc, you know. So you you will change how the camber changes on the tire as the suspension moves, also. That's where that went. Right over my head. Yeah. So, but anyway, that's like next, <laughs> next exactly. level and sort of minor, minor setup adjustments. But anyway, it makes a difference. Next up on the questions is from Clinic RC, Tony Newland. What's up, Tony? Why are eight scale tracks going to such high bite? Will it have the same demise and tire voodoo as 10th scale indoor? If they keep going in that direction, he says, hashtag save the lure. Well, I'm not a fan, not at all. So it came from 10th scale. So 10th scale used to be like 8th scale. Mm-hmm. You know, the tracks got rough, you know, especially in Europe. You know, outdoor tracks, a bit dusty. They got a bit rough. There was the real off-road element to it. Mm. And then uh, the trend was in Europe to, okay, race more on carpet, race more on Astro. And then in America, all these indoor, super smooth clay tracks, racing on practically slicks, high bite, you know. And then that sort of transferred outdoors where the outdoor tracks started really smoothing out the surface and using some kind of chemicals on them. So sugar, water, or some binding substance so that the track was like concrete, high bite, super hard, smooth, right? Mm-hmm. And that, I think, from 10 scale has transferred over to 8 scale now. So now what's happened is uh, not so much in uh, America, I think, yet, like California tracks, they get rough. But if you look at like the big international races, the ones in Europe, the ones in Asia, the tracks tend to be treated. They start off super smooth and they stay that way the whole race. Personally, I'm not a fan of that, uh, especially if that surface is uh, high bite also. It's just, 
it's for me it's like on road with jumps kind of feeling it's like supermoto where i prefer motocross well you know I, so it's yeah, some people that. love it you know some people love it because uh, the cars stay cleaner normally on tracks like that they are more consistent uh but just it's not my preference i i like it when tracks uh, i i my favorite tracks are tracks like dnc in arizona you know, that kind of track where it's real off-road, it wears out, it gets rough, you have to pick your lines. The traction is still good, but it's just, you can't just pin it, you know. You have to think about where you place your car and how you drive and those kind of tracks. I really like that. Or Thunder Alley also when it, there's a bigger race and it gets rough. I, I really enjoy tracks like that. That's real off-road for me. Yeah, That's eight scale, you know. Yeah, that's how it should be. I think if um, I, look, there, there's, there's enough RC racing to go around where we can have. We, I mean, this has been a, a year we've seen smooth tracks, we've seen extremely rough tracks, um, uh, you know. So we've we've seen a mix. I think there's room for both of them. The issue is when yeah. people only want smooth tracks that don't get yeah. dirty and all that type of stuff because those tracks are really hard to keep up and mostly you need a roof and all that type of stuff. Don't get me wrong. I, I like that. I like both. But I think if we start having to have ghost treads on tires and all that stuff in eight scale, we're, we're just going to see the demise of eight scale because I honestly think that we're seeing, uh, well, I, I, it's hard to say, but I, I honestly think we're seeing 10 scale, especially mod. I would say mod in America is definitely becoming um, less and less, it's, it's just having less and less more people doing it. Like, you know what I mean? And I think a lot of it has to do with just the, 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 the tires that's like, you know, all that tire prep and all that type of stuff. And if we see that in eight scale, we, we already, we're already using too much tires and spending too much money on tires. You know what I mean? Add on that. We got to sauce them and sand them down. That's it. Like it would be over for eight scale racing. So we need some loom. We need, we need some smooth tracks. We need all of that. Um, but I think you and I think as a driver, you should want to you should want to be good on all surfaces and not great on just one. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? You want to be able to drive all surfaces and and be able to do good on one. Yes, you might excel a little bit more on one surface because you like it more. But I think if you can if you can put your mind to it and, and drive in any on any type of surface, the amount of grip bumps and all that type of stuff, it just makes you a better driver, in my opinion. All right. Um, yeah, I would just add that, for example, like it's a series like uh, RCGP. Mm-hmm. If there's one one track that it's super smooth, like a good surface, high grip, that's fine as long as they all aren't that, or all that international big races in the world. As long as they all aren't that, then I'm okay with it. Yeah, you know, I'm not a fan, but it's okay. Uh, for a series like RCGP to have some variety, one track like that, and then two tracks uh, that are your normal sort of average off-road tracks and one track that gets really bumpy, you know, okay, then you have four different or three different styles Mm -hmm. with two of them being your average off-road track. You know, that's fine. Yeah, I agree with you there. I agree with you there. All right, next question is from Rob McLean. Uh, He actually made a video about this. You can check it out. He actually tagged... uh, he tagged your video, your channel, Joseph, and Max's channel in this. And his quest it was a video about dual rate because him and his son 
I have just started doing some touring car racing, so they're playing with dual rate. He goes, I have a question for Max or JQ. And he says, I want you to go, he wants you to go full science mode. He goes, on steering, exponential versus dual rate versus curve. What are the differences and how do each affect steering? Okay, well, dual rate affects the end points, so EPA, but equally left and right. So what you do is, when you set your radio up, you set your end points with the dual rate at 100. Okay, and one thing many people miss is if you have very unequal endpoints left to right, it means that something in your linkage isn't built correctly. It means that basically one direction versus the other, the transmitter, the movement versus the submobile movement isn't the same. So left and right turning isn't the same exactly. So what you should do is you should achieve a setup where endpoints are equal left and right. And you do that by changing the length of the link that goes from the servo to the servo saver. So you can experiment yourself. If you have this situation, then lengthen or shorten that link, adjust uh, the neutral so the wheels are straight forward again, and then reset your endpoints. So by doing this, you can achieve a situation where your EPA is equal left to right. That's what you want. Then, uh, if you then adjust dual rate, what you do is you might be in a situation where you just have too much steering. If you go down on the dual rate, you reduce left and right steering equally. So the whole car just has a bit less steering mm -hmm. because you have less uh, physical steering with the wheels. So that's what dual rate is for. Um, then curve and exponential are the same thing, just different names for it. But I think that some radios have different kinds of uh, settings for that. So exponential is a percentage setting where you use negative exponential to, instead of having a linear movement, make it so that initially the movement is less and then it catches up towards the end. So, so that towards the end, it's a bit faster. Right, because initially it slows down, but it has to reach the same point at the end, so it has to speed up then towards the end. But the reason some radios have curve is that you can set that curve yourself. You can modify the shape of it how you want. So exponential is just that number. Like mm -hmm. You can go to negative 10 or 15, and you can even visually see on many radios, you can see that instead of a straight line, it starts bending into mm -hmm. a curve shape. So initially less, and then towards the end it, it speeds up. The movement so that's good with if your car is a bit nervous you can add some negative exponential to smooth out that initial input do people use uh that in in steering i thought it was most commonly used in in throttle it can be used in both okay. so some people use it and for the curve that you can adjust yourself where i have used that is on in electric where eight scale electric off-road where I couldn't get my speed control to feel right, then uh, you can modify that curve how you want. So more drastically than the exponential to get that throttle or brake feel that you want from your speed controller. Okay. So that's where that comes in handy. Doesn't, doesn't dual rate or one of these actually slow down the speed of the servo somewhat as well? 
something does that. No, that's just so you have a separate setting for speed. Mm -hmm. So then uh, that uh, literally adjusts the servo speed. Okay. Many, uh, even really good, like even pro drivers adjust the speed of their servos to get the right feel. Because today we have servos that can be too fast even. So, you know, you can slow down the servo a bit if you want. Okay. Got you. All right. I, I, I honestly thought dual rate was what slowed it down. I, I'm, I did not know that about dual rate. No. Dual rate that? is just the overall okay. uh, movement that the servo has in either direction. Well, you learn so something you set, you set your dual, you set your EPA, your endpoints, with the dual rate at 100 then that's the maximum steering the car has, and then you can reduce from there. But one thing with all these radio settings is don't go overboard. It's supposed to be, you know, a minor adjustment. So let's say 5, 10, 15, 20% or clicks or digits, you know, on whatever setting you do. That tends to be the range that you, you stay in. Okay, got you. I did not know that. I honestly did not know that. All right, we have two more. We have two questions from Troy Nicholson. He wants to he wants to hear your opinion on the Agama car if they lay down shocks, and he also wants to know how much would it cost for someone to develop shocks like real race cars, like real race cars have, and what and versus what we have now. What would the cost versus reward be? Okay, so for the Agama car. The issue with a setting like this is that the, the speed of the piston itself in the shock is much lower than what we have now uh, because, I mean, just looking at the pictures, I guess this is the case because they're using really short shocks, right? But they still have the same wheel travel. So for that same wheel travel, the piston is moving a much shorter distance that means that the speed has to be lower. And what happens with this is that the way our shocks currently work is we have very basic shocks where at low speeds, the piston moves through the oil, the oil moves, uh, flows through the holes in the piston. Then as the speed increases, the friction of that piston moving through the oil increases to the point that it actually locks up the shock. Mm. So, and that's what we call pack. So that oil cannot physically squeeze through the holes mm. in the piston fast enough. <laughs> so the shock locks up, right? Right. That's how our, it's, it's the opposite to how any form of full scale racing adjusts their suspension. That would be a catastrophe. A disaster if that happened in real racing right but that's actually how we set our shocks up so with this agama i think that a difficulty will be to be able to have suspension that works at low speed when i talk about speed i'm talking about the speed the piston is moving so low speed would be when the car is cornering for example and it rolls towards the outside the suspension is moving, right? That's what gives the driver the feel of the car. That response, the feeling of driving is these movements that the chassis makes. Diving, squatting, rolling. That's low speed suspension movement. So the relationship between that and you 
landing a jump or hitting a bump on the straight. So when there is a shock to the suspension and the piston moves quickly, suddenly, you know, that relationship is hard to achieve. So it works right with that suspension that they have. If you use the kind of shock we have now, that's why if you look at our cars, all the cars have pretty much the same length shocks, same uh, diameter, very similar locations on the shock towers and arms. That's because it's like a compromise. That works at low speed and high speed. The handling is predictable. They all do very similar things. Through iteration over the last decades, this is what we ended up with because this is what works. So if you deviate a lot from that, it's not going to work right everywhere. And then that is a good segue to the next question, which was about shocks. That's actually one of the things that I hope to be able to develop in the future with the Mayako project. Because with Mayako, the whole goal is to innovate and and try and progress. You know, like RCGP was for racing, like a new concept, new way to organize races, trying to set a new standard with the media production and coverage and all that stuff, right? Bringing full scale to RC, in a sense. That's Mayako, but for car brands. I Like, that's the direction I want to go. I want to bring something new, you know? I want to change the way we set our shocks up and how they work and all that stuff. That eventually down the road, that's something I want to do. It's not necessarily about the money, but it takes a lot of time and effort and there are there are too many things right now going on that need to be done before that. But eventually, that's something I want to do for sure. Okay. All right. Next question is from my buddy, Mike Driscoll. He says, question for JQ. Have you finished the Mayako body shell design? Will it lose its beak? He calls it beaker's beak. Will it I fit can't the- hear you. Oh. Are you muted? Yeah, I am muted. Sorry, I don't know what happened. Uh, This is from my next buddy, Mike Driscoll. He asks, question for JQ. Have you finished the Mayako body shell design? Will it lose the beak? Will it fit the BE? And when will there be a Mayako e-buggy? He actually pulled up the picture of that Muppet, the bird Muppet, that blue bird Muppet. Yeah. And I was like, oh, is that where JQ got that from? I don't know if he did, but... um, it look it looks very familiar. It looks very familiar. So t- he wants to know about this Mayako body show. Uh, the body is done. Yes, it keeps the beak. And uh, what was the other question? Will it fit the be? Oh no, it doesn't fit. You gotta buy a Mayako, Mike. You gotta buy a Mayako. All right. Um, we have one more question, and then we're gonna go into some quick RC news. There isn't much going on from last week. Um, hold on, let me find the question. This comes from Magnus Berglund up in Sweden. He wants to know why did two why didn't two wheel drive eight scale catch one and offer it? There were quite a few cars in the nineteen in the nineties, and he goes, "What would an eight scale offer it two wheel drive look like if someone made one today?" Yeah, in France they've raised that class, so yes. you can actually look if you look for like RC Mag and two-wheel drive in Google. Maybe you'll find some pictures and clicks from there. And you can find like people made all kinds of like front-wheel drive, two-wheel drives, rear-wheel drive, two-wheel drives, you know, all kinds of crazy concepts. So 
yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if it became a, an actual class, what they would end up looking like, like, but probably you can look at gas trucks and yeah, that's that's probably kind of where the layout would go. Sweet. Oh, yeah, quite a few questions, dude. Uh, people were excited to have you back on the podcast. So, you know, they got, they got. I think they were getting tired of Arrogant Max. So they, they are looking forward to your questions, even though he answers really good questions. But, you know, <laughs> okay. that's his new name, Arrogant Max. Um, really? Why is that? Uh, because some, somebody left a review on the podcast and said, podcast is great and, and Max's arrogance is off the charts. So his new name is Arrogant. What has we been saying? I haven't been watching or listening, sorry. Oh, you know Max. You know how Max, he's just, he's, he's just like, in Finland, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so he even has his own section on the Discord called Arrogant Max. Ask Arrogant Max. So um, he likes it. And we all need to give people nicknames, don't we? All right. Um, thank you to BeachRC for their support. We greatly appreciate it, man. If you guys can uh, use that uh affiliate link it's in the written description of this podcast and in the link tree link that link tree link if you click that you go to all of our socials everything is there to do with the nnrc is right there in one link uh so check them out if you could use that link that affiliate link it helps us out and uh, thanks to those guys he's got uh he had dixie nets this past weekend and he's got uh he's got the uh mod race coming up next month all right joseph it's time to go on to some rc news we don't have much um Part of our news is going to be talking about the, the buggy land race. So, yeah, this is brought to you. The RC news is brought to you by TNR Fuels and High Tech RC. Here at the NNRC, we are all about that glory, and that glory is nitro. TNR Fuels is the hottest nitro fuel in the market, owned and operated by Chris Nelson and his family. Made by racers for racers. TNR Fuels is currently available throughout the USA. He's also working on some international shipping. For more information, to, uh, to support the company or purchase some fuel, visit them at www.tnrfuels.com. Contact Chris Nelson directly at chris at tnrfuels.com or find them on House of RC or Facebook. Also, big shout out to High Tech RCD. I see a lot more people starting to run High Tech again in the racing community. That's great. They're coming back to racing and it's good to see. I'm enjoying my charge over there. High Tech RCD is a leader in RC systems, delivering the highest performance and reliability, supported by dedicated customer service personnel. The HSB9381TH servers have efficient brushless motors, titanium gears, low consumption, constant output, and a metal case. They also rejuvenate power back into your battery on break-in. It's true. The guy Mike, Mort Mike Mayberry talked about it when I interviewed him. It's actually developed by the guy who did it for Tesla. The RDX2 Pro Charger can charge up to two four-cell packs in just 45 minutes. I'm actually currently charging up some, char some batteries right now. And provide power for engine heating and tire warming. Also for charging up your cell phones too. Trust in HiTech, your server and charger headquarters. Visit HiTech RCD, where to buy for your nearest retailer. So thank you to TNR Fuels and HiTech for their support of the podcast. Please show them some love all right joseph um really not much news from last week i think the the weirdest thing was j concepts actually had two races on at the same on the same weekend they had uh the j concepts west carpet championships which were held at um in pdx uh pdx underground which is excuse me <coughs> which is um up in the pacific northwest i believe it's in washington and uh, i think uh dustin evans real quick let's just go through the one this because it's it's I know we're not really feeling 10 scale at this moment. 
So let's go. Four wheel drive, uh, 10 scale. Ryan Mayfield, Dustin Evans, and Andy Debrino. I don't know who that guy, those guys are. Harley Yoshi was there. Man, Ryan Mayfield been up there. It was, <laughs> it was just Dustin Evans. He hasn't, even Dustin Evans hasn't raced much this year, it seems like. So Ryan Mayfield wins four wheel drive. And who was two wheel drive? I think Dustin Evans actually won it. And Dustin Evans uh, bested. Mayfield in two-wheel drive and won that by three seconds, it looks like, just on just under three seconds. And that I think that was... And then Austin Cracknell, he must be a local. He came in in third. So, yeah, I guess this if this was race had not been on the same date as the other race, there was there would have been a lot more people there. Now, the next race was at... Man, dude, this is... Now, I know we just talked about tires and 10-scale and, and facilities, but I must admit, this facility, uh, Hooser RC Copyplex... Uh, I believe it's in Ohio. I could be wrong. Uh, but, man, this is a beautiful 10-scale facility, Joseph. Like, it's really nice. The track's good. Um, the people, like, everything's all digital. There's no paper. It's really nice. I think they have a, yeah, it's it's a really nice-looking 10-scale track. So, at the, and actually, Aiden Horn was there. He was doing some vlogging. This, this, this race had a little bit more of the younger talent. We had Aiden Horn in two-wheel drive uh, finish, uh, first, Cole Tallard second. Congratulations to Brennan Schimmel, man. Third place. He beat out Dakota Fan, Tyler Jones, Charlie Maranana, Aaron Kaufman. He beat out some fast guys, man. He's been doing a lot of 10-scale um, racing, and that's a good third uh, for him. So congratulations to him. Beating out his teammate, Dakota Fan. By, wow, by like four seconds. Impressive. Well done, Brendan. And uh, well done to Aiden. His vlogs from there was really good. I, I really like that guy. I really like um, Aiden Horn. And in four-wheel drive, we had Dakota Fenn in first, Cole Tallard in second, Aiden Horn in third, and Brennan Schumer in fourth, Tater Sontag fifth. So, yeah, this race had the more, more talented, uh, not say, this had this race had a deeper field of talent to go to. I just kind of wish this would have been planned so all these guys could have attended these races. And, but I guess with so many big races, and so many different races being big races that, um, you know, it's kind of hard to, I get, I mean, it's just, it's just hard to, to schedule races nowadays. You know what I mean? So anywho, all right, Joseph, you know what, man, I know what everybody is waiting for. I've been waiting for this. I haven't even really talked to you about this. So let's talk about your first big race back at buggy land. Uh, it was not, you know, now that we're recording, this is like a week and a half ago. So it wasn't, it wasn't this weekend. It wasn't, you know, this podcast is a little late, but, um, it was, uh, last weekend that you did this. And I have to say right off the bat that I actually thought that this track is absolutely amazing, dude. Tell me a little bit about the track, where it's situated and all that type of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, that the track and facility and location, it's, it's all great. So it's, in Madrid, so central Spain, 15 minutes from the, the international airport, 15 minutes to the hotel. They have a deal with it, so they get a special discount for the race. So almost all the races that traveled probably stayed there. Mm-hmm. So it was great. You know, the international races were in the same hotel. And that always makes for a better atmosphere at the race, I think. The track itself, Miguelo, the track builder, he is building a ton of tracks now all around Europe. Mm-hmm. He's like the Joey of Europe in that sense. Mm-hmm. 
and he builds really good tracks. The tracks flow very nicely. This one actually didn't have any really big jumps, which was kind of different, I think. So it it was super fast, a lot of elevation change, rollers, smaller jumps. Yeah, it it was just really fun to drive. He always has some good chicanes also and yeah, a real challenge. A real challenge to go fast, definitely. Yeah, it now does he treat this dirt or is just water and just how the dirt is? Uh I don't know what he does actually. He does build some great tracks. He built Yao Figueredo's track. Yeah, um, I'm not sure. Like, it doesn't seem like it's that treated, you know? I don't know if he does put something to bind it a bit, but mainly it's just a lot of water and rolling, rolling and when we start racing, it's wet, and then it sort of grooves up. Okay. So, Well, this, yeah. this race was stacked in European talent. It's probably the... Well, it is. There's a, a loud wheel or something out there in my door. Uh, this is the, like the second race that all these guys have gotten together to race again. I mean, we had Barufalo, Ranafout, Coelho, the Kilix brothers, Angaro, Savoya, Savoya. Barton. It was basically basically a Euros minus the English guys, yeah. only boots from England. Yeah, I would I would have to agree with that. Um, you only raced a, you only raced Nitro Bug. You didn't you didn't do e buggy or anything like that, right? You don't yeah, only Nitro Bug. You don't race you don't race e buggy. Um, tell us a little bit about it, Joseph. Well, you, you got there, you know, um, I know they had to kind of rush the schedule and all that stuff because of rain. Uh, tell us just how the atmosphere were, was there when you got there. I, I, I know you weren't too happy with some things, not, not just you, a lot of people, I saw a lot of people complaining about this, but the actual racing was, was good. I we can take that in the rant. Sure. We can talk about that in the rant. Yeah. I think that the thing was that the days and weeks leading up to it it's like sunny weather no rain then that sunday of the race rain all day in the Mm -hmm. forecast and then the next whole week just sun so it's like one day in weeks of rain and that's that sunday so it was actually a good decision they made so on the friday which was practice day they made the decision to run really late and do two qualifiers and then be able to finish the whole race on Saturday. So that Sunday was just a day off. It, it, it was the right decision because it did rain a lot on, on Sunday. Oh, really? So what time yeah, did you so guys get out of there? Like on the Friday? We ended up racing from like 8 a.m. to 1 a.m. or something. Wow. So it was really crazy long days, but it was the right decision because we got the full program done. Everyone got all their practice rounds, all their qualifiers, their normal length mains. So it, it was the right thing to do. And they had good lights. It was no issue. So yeah, it was. I, uh, weather was nice and not not too cold. So yeah, you don't, you don't get to see many European races under the lights, though. So it was definitely different to see. Um, but let's, yeah, it was, it was, cra- it was weird seeing it. It's a man. I have to, I just have to give the guy credit. It is a, just a beautiful facility. So, um, I, I just, I just want to go there one day. Um, I wish I could have seen more of this, but I couldn't because like, I think we should save that for the rant too. The coverage, maybe. Yeah. All right. We'll yeah. save that. All right. Let's, let's just go. I'll save that because I was really upset. I actually really, a lot of people wanted to watch this race, you know, and they couldn't. So, 
I mean, yeah. you know, so anyway. Well, next year, hopefully. Yes, next year, hopefully. So, thoughts? Being there, it was great, you know. Right, so. right. I get that's why yeah. I wanted to talk to you about it. So let's talk about let's talk about you. You 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 didn't do as well as you did, you wanted to. You ended up where in the? Um... Yeah, I was in the B main in the pro class and no chance of bumping really. No. So that was that. Uh, and then, but there was a thirty five plus class, mm -hmm. so I TQ'd and won that. And there was one fast guy there, so Alberto Garcia. He's a local, runs Mugen, I okay. think. He's works on Mugen. Oh, I can't, I'm not sure now. I think Mugen. And yeah, he was there and that's his home track. So he was fast, but I managed to win. We had a good race going actually. And then first pit stop, first or second pit stop, he flamed out in the pits. First pit stop, I think, yeah. It was a 20 minute main. And then to, right towards the end, he had another problem. So, well, I, yeah, I was, but it was good. I picked, of course, I picked the Viking to win this, and uh, Max he went he went with the logical and fact, like you know he went with with stats, facts, and lo lo and and logic, and I just picked from the heart because that's just the guy I am. Even though I'm not saying that David that Ronafal couldn't win this, but man, it, it was a pillow ball dominated final, man. I mean, you had David like Angaro just. Came and did what he normally does. Like he, he was shit. Like he was not good in qualifying and seeding and all that stuff. And then mains come and it's like, oh, I'm back. Oh, I'm here. Time to race. He, he killed him. Like you know, he killed the whole field by like what twelve seconds. Wow, hold on. That is that bike's loud. Oh wow, that bike's super loud. Sorry guys, it's some, it's a like a you know like one of those four wheelers out there. It's really loud. Uh. Juan Carlos Canas was fast too, um, and then we had the Killex Burkan. He was in third, I believe. He said he flamed out twice as well during this race. Yeah, in the pits. Yeah, like pit stops. And then Robert, like I thought, Robert was gonna pull it off again. I thought we was gonna see that old Robert come from behind and win this, but he was up. There. He did make it up to second at one point, I think. And then running off the top five was Bur Burak Killex. But him and, and and the Viking, man, they had a, like, the Viking must have had a really bad start. I don't know because I couldn't see it. Uh, because Yeah, so I he crashed towards the end of the lap on the first lap. Uh, David crashed and dropped to last, I believe. Mm. So, And then, then also a few laps later, he had another crash. So he had, like, those two crashes in the beginning really set him back a lot. Got you. Yeah, because him and Borok just ended up battling for like almost 40 minutes, I would say. The entire race, they yeah. just switched places. And uh, I talked to him and he, cause he was, you know, like, you know, David, he wants to win everything, but he just like, yeah, yeah. just just didn't have it this weekend. He was like, yeah, just, you know, I was like, dude, you had a, a vicious battle with Borok that entire race. Um, yeah, so the way the track was, the grip was, it was kind of deceiving almost because it was high grip, but then there was also some dust. And it wasn't, at the end of the day, it wasn't really that high grip. It wasn't like Velcro. You could still slide a bit in places, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but if you had to explain what the grip was, you would say it's high. High grip, okay? So on those tracks, it's high speed. You're driving a lot on power. There's a lot of elevation change, going over a crest, dropping down while turning. 
these kind of situations, right? And in that, the pillow ball style, it's it's just it's easier to drive, I would say. Mm-hmm. So the C Hub type of car is more responsive, more aggressive. So you really have to nail the setup to be competitive in those situations. So I think for David, his car was a bit too nervous and aggressive. So yes, he made those mistakes in the beginning and then he was behind. Like maybe if he had been with those guys and not made the mistakes, he could have challenged for a podium. But still, it's like he definitely didn't have an advantage. I don't, I don't think he was on the same level. He was at a slight disadvantage. Yeah. And if you look at the results also, you see that there was only two C-hubs in the main, him and Savoia. That was it. Okay, so Out what? of 15, was it? So no, 13. Oh, oh, yeah, I'll need to make it, yeah. Well, what was, what is, what was, a bar, was Marco running Pillowball or C-hubs? Barofalo? Yeah. Yeah, Pillowball is always. Okay, so the X-ray so, doesn't have that C-hub option anymore? I mean, they do, but they never run it. Okay. So the... But to speak up for C-Hubs in e-buggy, Joao was probably the fastest guy. Oh, yeah. He qualified 11th, but his car was awesome for him in the main. But he made some, I guess, typical for him, critical mistakes because he drives so punched that the first main just went his way. And then the second two, it just mistakes at the wrong time. And he he had the speed. He... he could have won that race, I, I would say, but it just didn't go that way. But still, from 11th on the grid, it's pretty amazing. In e-buggy. Yeah. Yeah. He, in he's he's so lost so much his weight, His car was dude. really good. He looks, he just looks like a completely different person now. So, um, yeah. How about, uh, what happened to, like, Ricardo Berton? Did he break? Yeah, so, okay, let's, yeah. Uh, I'll open the results for the race. And and let's check what happened to people. Where do I find events? No results. Well, I got it here. We got uh, yeah. You got to go to results and then final. I have to talk. I have to talk about this too. On the rad. What's that? The Everlaps. I like it, but it still has a long way to go to be like oh. live RC. Yeah. Okay. So if we look, start from. 16th so just quick run through so brian baldo was the last guy to make the main he just beat out joao at the line in the b main i mean he he had a broken arm from riding his motorbike enduro so he had some pain in his arm he he was suffering an injury (laughs) right yeah rc it's not normal to say that you're injured but he had an injury uh left arm so throttle finger painful apparently he made the main but he just he didn't have the pace in the main really to do much seems to he had a problem early also and he was out marco was fast but never really a threat to the top positions he was like mid-pack had some issues this wasn't really his track maybe his car wasn't that good i don't know what the issue was something like Mm -hmm. he he wasn't really a threat at any point i would say yeah i would agree with you there yeah, Berton, he was. Berton was up there battling with Robert and uh, Kilic. And yeah, he, w- he was up there. So he was podium guy, definitely. 
but then he broke an 3D printed arm on the Infinity on the front. I was about to ask that because I looked at it and I just saw uh, the Infinity was a mixed match of different cars. Uh, yeah, but they have a lot of their own stuff too. Okay. But it's a lot of it's just 3D printed and prototypes. So yeah, it's not the strongest. So he he broke at some point while up there. I don't know. Can I see what position he was when that happened? I think so. He was fourth, third. Okay, right when he broke, I think he was fourth. But he was battling like third, fourth, fifth with those guys. So, yeah, he was really fast. And the fastest guy in the chicane coming onto the straight, he actually passed someone around the outside. So, you know, you go, you drop down, go into the chicane, you turn the middle corner, then you turn onto the front straight. Mm -hmm. So he went on the outside of that person onto the front straight, passed them. Yeah, he was fast in that Pretty section. Ricky Berton. Pretty Ricky Berton. Yeah, then Tom Robin from France, he uh, made the main, but he didn't quite have the pace in the main. So he was just like, he was in there. Yeah, but I get it. That was it. So good job to make the main, but not a threat in in it. Boots um, qualified real well. He started fourth but not really a factor as far as the main goes. It looks like he had a, um, he had a flame he, or something. I think he blew a plug or something. But, I mean, he, he went to the back pretty early on. I believe he's, he said he got taken out. On lap, yeah. on lap 14, he was, yeah, he was on lap yeah, four, he was, he was in 14th. 14th, yeah. yeah. So, uh, right, I mean, he started up front then tangling other races dropped to the back and that's pretty much where he stayed then then we have misha he actually surprised me like he did he was faster than i expected clearly in the main i think pretty much the whole time and yeah yeah he did did well but same with montero like montero and him both they were like solid but a step behind the top guys, but still, still sort of safe in the main guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, Savoya, uh, he was faster at times to where maybe a better result than ninth could have been possible, but I don't really know how his main went or was his car just too edgy and, and sort of hard to drive at that pace, kind of like uh, Ron Falk had the same issue. So, yeah, still top 10 result. So that's good. Then Coelho, Coelho, I do know actually that Coelho uh, CTO'd himself. Really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I think he didn't nail the setup with his car. He's capable of much better, but I think he did what he could now. I don't know what, maybe he made the wrong tire choice or setup choice or something but it wasn't quite doing what he wanted it to do that's what it looked like to me and then seventh oscar navarro a local guy so this is his home track and he surprised me he did some of my spanish friends said that he's really good he will do really well here and i thought yes i know he it's his home track i saw him there before but i didn't expect him to be this good like he was really good 
on the pace. So seventh, I always joke that seventh is the place you finish when you're in the main. You you have a decent pace and have no problems, but you're not fast enough to win. Then you finish seventh, and that's where he is. So yeah, yeah. Then uh, David. Yeah, because if you think about it, if you look in front of this guy in seventh, Navarro, all those guys had crazy pace. Yeah, all of those guys had pace that you would be like, "Damn, they can win this shit," right? So. Sixth, fifth, fourth, third, second, first, all those guys, I would say, had winning pace. And then seventh with Navarro, he didn't really at any point, but he was fast. Yeah, I get it. Seventh, that's where you finish. So yeah, Ronifak we already covered. Then Burak, Kilic, uh, let's take Berkan and Burak together. So Burak is the older brother, Berkan the younger brother. I would say that they've already had sort of races where they breakthrough a bit like Burak in Euros last year he got third was it yeah well 2019 oh yeah 2019 last Euros we've had yeah, he got okay third. but that was a rain race and all <laughs> kinds of crazy stuff then they did that race in Denmark where Ronne Falk went and he had a whole race long battle with Ronne Falk and there are other races in Europe where they've done really well but for me I would say this is the race where they really established themselves because both of them were consistently very fast, both lap times and qualifying times, and in the main racing for the top positions against the other guys. So this race is like definitely the one where they established themselves as legitimate threats mm-hmm. I at could, big races. I could agree with you there. Yeah. And... Interestingly, Berkan had the better race, who is the younger of the two. The difference between them really is, from what I see, is that Burak is uh, more aggressive and sometimes too aggressive, I would say. So he loses out a bit because of his aggressive driving. Sometimes, like a bit like Barufolo, you know, sometimes tangling with other guys, but also just losing because he is overdriving, gotcha. you know. They need to sort of calm down just a bit and can be faster. And this race, like watching them, that's what Berkan did a bit better. But I spoke with the father and he actually said that Burak has been faster in mains than Berkan. This race was different, but generally speaking, the last races they've been doing, Burak has been the faster one. So, So it's, yeah, so they are very equal in that sense. It will be interesting to see how that rivalry between the two brothers develops. Well, well uh, I, I'm gonna. I, I interviewed Burkan. Uh, it, it'll be a couple of weeks before it's out, but um, he he pretty much said, Burak is like really serious, and he's just like, eh, I'm just happy to be here. Like whatever, you know. Yeah. And it, it, he's like, I don't wrench on anything, and Burak he's so serious, and I, I just he says, I just imagine that my brother's chasing me from behind. And that's why that's what I do when I'm racing. Yeah, you know, that's often how it is in those situations where you have a older brother and younger brother. Well, I think they, I think they can both be great. I think we, I think they're both young, and I think we can both see these these two brothers share many podiums in the future. You know what I mean? Yeah, 
Then we have Robert. So Robert struggled or suffered a bit because he started in 13th. You know, like he had some issues leading up to the main and he had to bump from the B main, I think, actually. Yeah, yeah he did. He did. So, yeah, so it didn't look that great going in, but then he had a great start. And actually, if I remember correctly, that's, I think Elliot said that Robert took him out. Mm. <laughs> so they traded places. <laughs> okay, but anyway, if Robert got that far to be able to do that, uh, mistake, intentional, I don't know. I'm not, I haven't seen it. I don't know what happened. Uh, racing incident, whatever. If he's in that position already, it means he had a good start to get up there. Right. Because Elliot was fourth. So, yeah, great start and first few laps. And he was in that battle. So I, I thought early on that he would be the one to get the race and win because he got such a good start. Everything was looking good. But then he just didn't quite have that final speed. I didn't speak with him about the main. So I don't know what happened. But he was in, he was sort of in, in the battle for third third place so it was third fourth fifth it was uh the Kilich brothers i think they were both at some point in yeah, there Bork but was definitely the top three def yeah definitely it was berkan and robert and uh berton who were battling they had right. a crazy battle uh i remember that and then berton broke and then berton broke so that's that's where he was. And then he ended up fourth, so just losing out to Berkon. And then Kanas, Kanas and Ongaro, they were sort of racing their own race ahead of the rest, but alone. So Ongaro drove up to the lead. He got the lead about halfway and pulled a bit of a gap, and that was it. So he was driving alone for half the race. And Kanas was then in second alone for half the race. And the, all the battling and stuff, it was really going on behind them. So, I mean, why, what happened in the end? Was it just Kanas, did he have any issues? Because he ended up being 12 seconds behind in the end. Or did he just say, all right, I'm just going to settle for second? And hope something happens to him. No, I think Ongaro is just faster. Uh, actually, it looks like he got the lead earlier, earlier than that. I somehow remembered that he got it halfway, but uh, yeah. So Kanas was leading at first, and then Ongaro just caught up to him and got by and pulled away a bit, and that was it. Yeah, and that was it. He didn't get back. There was no doubt level. anymore, really. Yeah. So I, I thought, like, I don't know, like, it's, it's not that I, I want. Um, Ongaro to win, to lose because I you know I just think it's it's just like I think his back on that ain't nobody can beat me tip right now not, not in Europe well it depends a bit on the kind of track also mm. so this kind of track where it's all about corner speed and maintaining your speed being smooth you know it just suits him and his driving style his setup his whole package what he has going for him it works on these kind of tracks. So for someone to beat him, they really need to get everything right. Like Ronnefar can beat Ongaro, we know that. 
Yes. But he would have to have everything right, and then he can challenge, and then he can uh, fight for the win. Conas uh, is close, but like this race, I think everything worked fine, but Ongano was just a step better. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, that's all. yeah he, he just is, really, he is the man on in this environment mm-hmm. that we had for this race. Well, when is the next time all these guys are meeting up again? Probably, this year. This year, I don't think that there's anything anymore. Okay. Where everyone would go. Right. right. I think Montpellier. the next, the next, yeah, the next real big race would be Montpellier. And then after that, DNC, then RCGP and so on. So did you get to, t- no, but you haven't really been around these guys for over almost two years. Was it... What, what did you like? I know you know. I want to. I want to hear the juicy details. Like so, anything. Like what, I want to know what's up with Davide now, not wearing hats and he's got that bang like in front of his. What's that? Is that the new style? What's going I don't on? know. That must be his own hairstyle. Yeah, he needs to get back to putting on those hats. Is is he? You know, he's he's now what twenty? He's got to be twenty now, or close to twenty. I don't know, something like that. But you know, also uh, Jörn Neumann. Mm-hmm. The German driver, he al- always used to have a Proline hat, right? Right. And then logoless hat, but always that like flex fit Proline. <laughs> now he had no hat on, and I didn't recognize him at first. Really, I've never seen a him mask, without a hat mask, either. Yeah, never. I've never seen him without a hat. So a mask, no hat. He came to stand next to me on the driver stand. I looked. I had to like do a double take. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> I know that guy. Oh my gosh! Did, how did he make out? He he was in the B man with you, right? Yeah, he was in the B man with me. Didn't bump. I, maybe he was in the main in electric. I'm not sure. Oh, I see him. I see him and um, Orlowski and the guy. What's the guy named Trish? They're all headed to the Florida uh, Carpet Championships here next month. Two was yeah, but ten, ten scale is kind of his yeah main yeah. class anyway. He's been around for a long time. How old is Jorn? I don't know, but he's, I think he was like 14, okay. 12 or 14 when he won his first Euros. All right. So I guess my question, so, my question to you would be, be um, what's your thoughts, overall thoughts on the, the level of the European drivers right now who, who haven't really had a chance to race against each other much? Just this is only the second time. Compared to probably some of the top American drivers who have raced against each other all year, and obviously you haven't been to that race. I did. I get to. I went to the nationals and saw them race. But if you know, I I assume that we'll see most of these guys at DNC because, um, you know, uh, in November everything opens up for people that are vaccinated. So I'm sure that all these guys are going to come to DNC. Do you think these guys will be ready for DNC? If Americans came to this race, right. if there had been Americans here, I honestly, I don't think the winner would change. Okay. And I think there would be maybe two Americans really? or two North Americans who could challenge Mayfield and uh, Tessman. Really? Yeah, I wouldn't argue with that. And after that, like... Like, if Cavalieri was driving a different car, then maybe him, I would say. We can't, th- we can't but, discount um, Rivkin like on this type of track. I, I don't... Oh, I forgot about Rivkin. 
sorry. But even Rivkin, if we think about the Worlds and him not even making a main, you know, and that was a way more American track than this, mm-hmm. you know? So I just I just can't see it, to yeah. be honest. It's, it's going to be interesting, man. But if we go to DNC, then it's a different story. So then I think if you look at all of these Europeans... So if these Europeans go over to DNC, I think there are two guys who definitely can challenge. So Ongaro and Ronde Falk, they can challenge the top guys in America. In America, mm-hmm. and then there are a few others like Barofalo was really fast there. If you remember last time, yep. Berton has the ability to be really fast over there. And then I would say that I, I, can ask him, I am. Well, yeah, I mean, probably better than than last time, but I I wouldn't put him like on the level of what Ronald Falcon and Ruffalo can do in America. Mm-hmm. No, I wouldn't. He could, but I would be a bit surprised. Okay, right. but what I really would like to see is what would the Killich brothers do in I America know. now? I know with I this the the speed they have now. How would that translate? Because one thing is that this track and the setup they have, they are comfortable on it. You know, they can drive really fast and punched and throw the car around. DNC, it's a different ball game. Mm-hmm. You know, that setup isn't going to work. You have to drive differently. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, but I would First be time very in America. curious to see. You know, all yeah. that type of stuff. It's going to be interesting. I hope they can make it. I hope they can make it. Um, I, I, I mean, I got to, I had to watch the race on on the phone. Uh, I didn't get to really watch it. You know, there was no coverage, but uh, it's good to see these guys racing again and getting ready because you know what? It was also the news was also announced that we will have a If More Worlds next year, and it's going to be at Redavon. And yeah, I yeah. can't freaking well wait. I can tell you that these guys who were in the main here, mm-hmm. uh, they will all be contenders basically for the main in Redavon. Are they going to rebuild the track? Uh, I don't know what they're going to do. I know they have to I, do something. I, I really don't know. Because that announcement was made after the race, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was. Because it was. I, I remember I asked Baldo. They, the Red Money is Baldo's track, right? Mm-hmm. So I asked them, and he didn't know at the time. So that announcement was made right after that race. So there was never really a chance to go into any kind of details like that. Where was his brother? Oscar. He was, he was there. He was in the B main. Oh, okay. Me. What are they running now? Struggling. Uh, Mugen. Oh, really? Okay. It was some guy with like white hair running x-ray. Who's that? White looking hair. White hair? Yeah, he had some I don't know. blue hair or something. I don't know. I thought that was one of them. I thought it was one of the Baldo brothers at first. All right, uh, man. So it was good to get back. Um, uh, as you as we're recording this part now, you've, you've, you're in France and you're off to what's next for you? You're going to well, we talk about that. We can talk about that in Iran. Too. Reds GP. Okay. Reds GP in Italy. So that's this weekend coming. Yeah. All right. Cool. 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 Well, you know what, Joseph? We're gonna go on to the main interview with Techno. It's with Craig Drescher. It was a great chat with him, by the way. Um, enjoyed catching up with him. Uh, and then we're going to bring you back for the rant. What, what do you think? That sounds good. All right. Uh, here we are with the 
Techno RC main interview of Craig Drescher. Thank you to Techno RC for all the support. You know, check them out on www.technorc.com. And let's hear what the man from the UK has to say. Techno RC. Techno RC. Techno RC is a premium manufacturer specializing in 8th and 10th scale high performance off-road RC buggies and trucks. Visit www.technorc.com for a complete catalog of their products. Techno RC. Excellence in engineering. Hashtag Techno Takeover. So... I've been meaning to get this gentleman on the podcast. I'll be honest, I, I don't really know much about him besides that he is a legend. His name comes up frequently when I chat to people in the UK. Arrogant Max is is, is, is his team manager. That's his new name, Arrogant Max. Um, All right, I'll remember that one. Yeah, so I would like to introduce one of the legends of RC. Uh, I think, man, your accolades. I'm just going to go through your accolades real quick, what I was able to find online. You are a 14-time, <laughs> 14-time British national champ. 11-time European champion. I don't know in what classes. And you've also been a world's finalist in five different classes. That's was at, that was the most information I could find on Neo Buggy, which was a couple of years ago. Uh, if anything's changed from that, let me know. But I would like to welcome, uh, I believe you are the team associated manager, team manager and work for uh, in England now, but... I, yes, I work for um, I work for Team Associate actually for um, for the European um, sales. Mm-hmm. Um, within that, um, obviously, I help with uh, the the selection of the team guys. I attend the races, help with the team, help um, guide the distributors in choosing and uh, bringing on board the, the the latest greatest kids as well. So I've always kind of enjoyed that side mm-hmm. of the of the business, nurturing and bringing on. Bringing on the juniors, um, obviously the future of RC is important and the kids are a very big part of that. So We will yes. talk about that more uh, I, because I believe in that as well. Uh, what I'd like to introduce you is, is Mr. Craig Drescher. Like, if you guys don't know who this guy is, you will know after this podcast. Um, he is a legend. Uh, like I said, Jamie Booth mentioned you. Arrogant Max always talks about you. And um, David Isherwood has been on me for over a year to get you <laughs> on this podcast. Every time I say, hey, do you have any recommendations for guests is like Greg Drescher. So uh, he is, he's a, he's a fan of yours. So that's good. That's good. That's nice to hear. I've still got some fans after all these years. <laughs> all right. Um, I always like to find out how people get started in RC. So I always, I like to ask, when did you discover RC? Oh, years ago, I was 10. Um, I lived in Yorkshire, which is in the north of the country from where I'm based now. And um, basically, I was a young lad on a street, a guy, one of my neighbors was playing with his car up and down the street. I kind of slowly edged my way back towards him when he was um, when he was out playing with his car, had a go, befriended him, um, ended up having a car for my uh, Christmas present, um, a Tamiya frog. And then him and his dad used to take me to the local club, uh, which was in Osset and from there it all started. We moved shortly after that, so then the travel started. I used to travel back to my local club and um, and that's that's how it all happened. So I'm guessing it's along the lines of many people that we know that are into RC now that um, are still involved in it, which is um, which is great and I'm still in touch with that guy as well. He doesn't race so much anymore, but um, I'm still in touch with him from time to time. What part of Yorkshire are you from? Uh, originally, I was born um, in a place called Dewsbury and lived in Osset. Okay, so I've I've been 
Like Yorkshire is like a province, I believe. I've been to Leeds. Is that in Yorkshire? I, yeah, that's yeah. that's up there. Yeah. So yeah. my dad's football team was Leeds. Yeah, my my yeah. buddy. Um, I'm a city a Man City fan. Not from old time. And Sean Goto used to play. I'm from Bermuda originally. Um, <laughs> my buddy Darren. I used I was up in uh, Teesside doing some uh, firefighter training back in 2004, I think. My buddy Darren was from Leeds. He used to be the trainer. He used to be a physical trainer for Leeds back in the day. And um, he took me down there. We went to like, um, where did we go? Snetterton to uh, to watch some oh, like British like... supercar racing or British, uh, you know, yeah. like the touring car. So we went to that and that was my first taste. So I've been to Yorkshire. It's a, it's a quaint little, Leeds was nice. It was quaint, very quaint and very compact. I had never been in anything like that before in my life. Yeah, it's been a while since I've been back to Yorkshire, but um, yeah, I've got fun memories, and it's uh, I still class myself as a Yorkshireman, even though I'm not really. I moved when I was ten. Yeah, because they say like the North guys and the Eng- and the South guys talk differently and have different accents and all that, you know. So um, yeah. I can hear it. I can definitely hear the like the Londoners and the difference between the Londoners and the rest of the the, uh, the UK. So that's pretty cool. All well, right. Say the they say the Northerners are the salt of the earth. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so you started racing from a, like you got the frog, and then you was racing immediately. How long did you? How long did that last? Did you upgrade to something else? We did. I think it was about a year, maybe. Um, I raced a three eighty class with the the Tamir frog, and then um, my next car was the RC ten. So okay. that's basically where my passion started with associated or team associated products, and uh, from there um, I never switched. I gotta ask, what year was that? That would have been 86, 87, probably. Dude, I'm going to say this. You don't look like that. you're that old to have a car in 1987. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> so, Well, I am. Uh, but, wow. So I didn't realize you had been around that long, to be honest. I thought you was honestly like my age. I'm 43. I don't know how old you are. but um, 40, I have, I'm 46. Okay, so not too much older, but you started very young. So Yes. Uh, who were some of your early mentors uh, coming up? Uh, Jamie Booth, he was my good hero, mentor. so um, and still a very, very good friend of mine. So we speak um, regularly. We see each other at um, some of the iconic races that we've been doing recently, which has been um, a fantastic, fantastic reintroduction for me into um, into some of the old classes, but um, reconnecting with many of the old people that I used to race with back in the day. Not just that, people actually that I used to race with but didn't didn't know. Mm-hmm. So the guys that were at the races, which I never really kind of mingled and uh, and got involved with, they were running on different teams and such. So to be able to do that has been um, it's just been it's been excellent to do it, really enlightening and um, and fun again, bringing all the memories back of why we loved RC. So um, other heroes would have been um, the the Harris brothers, Stevie Haynes, who probably you wouldn't have heard of. And then um, guys like, uh, not David Isherwood, but Richard Isherwood. Mm-hmm. He was another legend for me back in the day. Ian Oddie, Kevin Blairs. I know Ian Oddie, fifth scale motors. That's and right, that yeah. Stuff, yeah. So they were all involved in um, in my early years and in introduction. Um, Ian Litley from Penn Models, Jason Green got me into it when we moved up to the Midlands mm-hmm. um, and helped kind of nurture my love and speed and passion for RC. So there's been lots of instrumental people. Obviously, my dad was um, was a, a very big part of my life for, for RC in the early days as well. Yeah. Um, just for clarification for people who may not understand it, 380 was the smaller motor 
that I believe correct, yes. uh, you guys had a class for that. And speaking of the iconic class, when I interviewed, uh, when I talk, chat to Jamie, he he said the same thing. How much fun he's having in that class? Is it like a vintage class as well? I believe. Yes, it's yep. a vintage class separated into years, mm-hmm. um, and obviously your car drops into whichever year you decide to to race and what car you race, and you race against other year manufacturers in that class and compete for two or three trophies throughout the weekend, uh, two-wheel drive Saturday, four-wheel drive Sunday, and then a race of champions at the end of each day, which is um, the top two in every class go on a, um, a head-to-head race, which is a scheduled or timed release for um, for a race to try and have the fast guys and of all classes cross the line at the same time. Mm. But um, So it, it's just it, the social side is the most fun side of that. It's just like-minded individuals with the same hobbies and passions that get together that haven't seen each other for years and just relive their youth almost. Yes. RC is awesome, man. Um, it, It really is. I mean, I was thinking about this yesterday, how I've connected with people around the world and met so many people. Obviously you've been doing this a lot longer and done the same thing. So I can't imagine that's probably why you take so long to answer my messages too, but I'm only joking, but, um, I'm sure you're busy as well. Uh, Max said you're super busy. I can imagine, like I was busy when I was JQ manager and I can only imagine how busy you are. So good stuff. What was your first really, really big race? Do you remember? Um, I got to do some European championships fairly early on and some Grand Prix. Mm -hmm. Um, my first European championship win was in 1991. Mm-hmm. which was in England as well. I did, um, I think I got third in the Euros in France um, the year before that. So that would have been 90. And then 89, I think, was in Belgium. So I'm guessing round about 88, 89 would have been an EFRA Grand Prix of some kind. We went to races in Porsche as a, as a team with like several of the Brits Um that were obviously racing and at the high end at the time. So mm-hmm. I kind of traveled, traveled with them guys, me and my dad went and um, often my mum and my sister as well. And um, basically just did the European tour. Um, I think 89 was possibly my first Reedy race at RCHR. Mm-hmm. Um, was that up at the pub? No, that's a Robin Hood, right? No, the, the first Reedy race in the States was... Um, oh, RC, I thought it was in... I, RCHR. Robin Hood Raceway is another raceway in, in the UK. Right. But I could have sworn that Jamie said they had a Reedy race in England too, or maybe it was a... They did, they did. Okay. They had a couple of Reedy races over here um, in the early days, which um, actually the Reedy race that they had here, which was really local to me, I was doing exams at the time, so I didn't actually attend that one. I just dropped in for an hour on the Saturday or the Friday, I think it was. So unfortunately, I couldn't race that one. Mm. Okay. Well, what? where was the Reedy race to? That was in California, right? And that's this time? Yes, yes. RCH. So California, RCHR, I think it was. Okay, I would have to ask one of those older California guys. How'd you make out in your first Reedy race? Uh, terrible. Oh yeah, but you was hooked. Like you went to so it was SoCal, the mecca of RC at that, at that time. SoCal oh, was I went. Yes, I, it was. I went to visit Associated. Um, did a tour there with Mike and Gene and Roger and um, Cliff was working there at the time, so he was fairly new into the company at that time as well. Um, and got to watch all my heroes race cars, which was Jay, Cliff, Butch, Clover. Um, I think Cliff won the the event. It was um, pretty hard fought. Masami was there as well. 
So I've got to see all the all the legends of RC really race, and um, I'm not sure if I was last last, but one I didn't um, I didn't fare very well, but the whole experience was just amazing. I could imagine you was young too, probably what? Um, how old were you? Let's yeah, see. I, would, I would have been I would have been 15. Oh yeah, great age to be in California, I would say. And and no parents as well. So oh Jamie my was gosh. my Jamie was my responsible adult. Oh. Which I'm not sure that worked out too good. <laughs> <laughs> well, they have that pesky 21 rule in America, but back in the 80s, I'm sure they didn't really worry about that too much. Um, but good stuff. Uh, all right, so after the Reedy race and all that stuff, it seems like you was concentrated mostly on off-road at this time uh, because this was like the big boom and like this is when off-road was kicking and 10 scale and whatnot. Uh, what other like Europe, what other European championship did you win? Because you it says eleven times. I don't know if you've been more than that, but um, did you? Was it predominantly offered that you was focused on at that time? In the in, in them times, yes, it was um, purely purely off road. I dropped into a little bit of eight, um, not eight scale, the twelfth scale. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the the twelfth scale challenge, but it, it was a secondary class. It was for fun. It was to fill the gaps in winter. Mm-hmm. Um, which I did well at, and eventually went on to do some on road. And when um, off-road started to decline a little bit. Um, we knew that Associated was working on a touring car, so I dropped into touring car, ran a Yokomo just to get some experience, and then when the TC3 was released, I um, hit the on-road scene very hard and had some great results in on-road as well. So no European titles, but uh, TQ some of the events for on-road. Um, so all my European titles were in off-road. Um, unfortunately for me, I was up against some very stiff competition in Europe with Reinhardt, Spachett, um, Andy Moores. So it was always a really tough slug going to European championships. That was in on-road and off-road because those guys raced both, I believe. At that oh, time. yeah. 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 And uh, uh, Absolutely. Yeah, that's some serious competition. There was a lot of... Um... A lot of crossover back in the day, wasn't it? Like off-road and on-road. You don't see that too much. Or just a few drivers like Coelho is Juan Narato and, and stuff like that. We don't see that anymore. The Cavalera used to do it once in a while, come over and, and race on-road as well. But you was I didn't realize you was involved in on-road when it was booming. Like 19, you know, TC3 came out, came out. Barry Baker was the fabulous one, I'm sure, at that time. I had him on, yes. yeah, I had him on her the other, uh, last year. Great chat. So you was like right when when Torn Car took off and boom, you was right in there. Why did why did Torn Car take off so so hard? Do you think was it just the ease of doing it in parking lots and stuff like that? I think in the early days for me it was yeah it was exactly that. It was less work. There was um, less choices for tires, less tuning options. Almost it was very much kind of like pull it off the shelf from one race to the next go and race it so it was um it was in its infancy so it was it was really nice and fresh um and then obviously over the years it got very very serious very detailed um and very kind of like highly competitive with setups detailing um electronics the all every every aspect of the car needed to be absolutely perfect so it went from um off-road with tires and just it started to decline and just feel a little bit flat and it was just, it wasn't fun anymore. So the touring car gave me a new challenge. Touring car became the popular class off-road declined a little bit. Well, quite substantially actually. Um, and then a a 10 year spell in touring was, um, it was good fun, but again, towards the end that started to get really tedious 
and frustrating with uh, the brushless systems were coming in. I was doing a lot of running for Novak at the time and testing with the brushless systems. In the very early days, we had good systems that were competitive, and then we were a little bit slow um, on the uptake with development, and others overtook us. And so you go to a race and you couldn't compete. The chassis with the shaft drive was starting to get a bit long in the tooth. The electronics weren't quite right. It was just it was just frustrating to put so much effort into going to a race, sticking with the brands and not just jumping ship to the latest greatest and, and sticking it out because I was a loyal driver, um, an employer, an ambassador of the companies that I represented. So it just got really hard and tiring. And that's then when I decided to kind of either quit or change things up again and started looking at eight scale. So I went into the eight scale class and started doing that, which was, uh, again, a great kind of we knew a new car was coming from Associated. It was the first time into eight scale, so um, it gave me a good a good feeling to that, and it was great to get back to off roaders get again as well. Yeah, in that same interview, you had I think it was because it's it's so hard to research people uh, on, yeah, on yeah. RC. Uh, you didn't like Nitro at first. I get it. A lot of guys don't like it. It's a lot of work, and but at that time, and you switched in, that's when like Nitro was king. You know, it was growing, it was booming. And it just, it just was, it's, it's still, I still think it's King now, unfortunately, I, that's my opinion. But, um, yeah. yeah, awesome times. And going back to touring car, like, uh, honestly, I think if we kind of got back to parking lot racing with that, we would, and just simpler cars, I know that's probably never going to happen. I think we would see that grow again and get more people into it. Um, and it's a shame because it's a great class and it seems to be on a decline on certain certain areas. You know, you look at uh, America, I'm probably not in the, in, a, in, the U, in the Europe too much, but it's definitely nowhere near as big as it used to be. And it's a shame because I think it's a great class and you have some really good drivers in that. So hopefully we get to see some more like of the, what it, like go back to its roots a little bit, somewhat, but. I, doubt I, it. I, I think with all the classes, unfortunately, as more and more people come in and it gets more competitive, it gets harder for the lesser level people to be able to win and compete. And that then takes the fun out of it. People want to win. In America, having all the different classes, the pro, the over 40s, the 50s, there's a good group of guys that have something to compete for. Mm-hmm. And this is what I've seen at the iconic races with several different classes. It's really nice for the guys to challenge for a trophy rather than just be one winner on the day which is kind of the format that we have here for the uk and europe so it's nice that um that that can take place and i I get that you know but we have got depth in the classes that we race so we go to a um a national and it is literally two-wheel drive modifieds yeah all the way through the field 120 competitors 140 competitors all two-wheel drive modified or the same for four-wheel drive the following day and the same for the eight scale. We don't mix truggies in there. Truggies have a separate race as well. So it's it, it becomes very, very competitive and hard to do well. And um, and there is only one winner. So I, I think there's room for both. I, I I like classes too, but I also like the IFMAR, like straight up. I like the nationals. I like that. I like the worlds because that's where you really see where you're at. I understand where classes are. I mean, I might go DNC. I don't know what class I'm going to run, maybe 40 plus. I don't know. I'm not yeah. good. You know, I'm not good. So I don't deserve to be in any pro or intermediate. or, And I don't want to be in sportsman because that goes, I would get dusted in sportsman too probably. But it's been so long. So I definitely think there's room for classes. And that way, that way as well. It is. I was. I have this argument with Max. He thinks it's about runtime. I said, I think it's more about people having an extra chance to get a trophy. He does. We have this constant argument. He thinks it's all about runtime. I think it's about the trophy. But 
I agree. We kind of need to just have room for that, like the, the iconic race and, and stuff like that. There, there's place for both forms of racing, and I don't see why we can't do both, you know, especially where you guys are. It, it would help get new people in, in in the UK. But the UK seems to be doing pretty good. You guys had a very exciting um, eight-scale national season this year. Uh, yes. Very exciting, actually. Um, lots of drama, lots of, lots of action that I, I got to witness. That's why I'm a big proponent of having a series for a championship. Uh, yeah, so you, I think I've been to England. I've, I've raced there. I like it over there. I think you guys are very well organized. I know not everything's perfect, but for me, I think if I wanted to race and be organized and have fun, England is one of the places to be for, for a race. I didn't realize it was so big over there either. Just racing, period, when I went there. <laughs> Yeah, we've we've got good strength in kind of all the classes. I think the the weakest class is probably touring, but the mod the mod side, the stock class is still fairly strong. But again, it's the, the cars are so fast. Even the stock cars now uh, are way faster than what we probably used to race back in the days when it was a twelve turn motor limit. Really? So it's um, yeah, yeah I, I guess there's two or th- two or three heats maximum in um, in touring mod. And then the rest of the field is filled up with stock racers. So, so that's that's good. The ten scales booming. It's going really well. It's strong over here. The eight scales um, as strong as ever. So we've got good strong racing classes here for the primary classes. Yeah, and you guys have a, a very a good bit of youth. Well, Europe in general has a lot of youth coming up. When I say youth, I'm talking about like from you know young, very young till about twenty one ish. I want to say, and yeah, maybe a little bit over twenty one. But you guys definitely have a, a big bunch of youth coming over uh and so does america too now that i'm looking at it and stuff but definitely in each individual country like uk has their people france italy has a big bunch of young guys as well and spain so it's good to see uh all right so i was reading one of your favorite accomplishments your best accomplishment and your the one that you held there was the 2005 reedy race championship uh let's talk about where where was that and uh let's just talk about how you won that the, the touring car race, the reader race, at, um, was at the Tamiya track at Elisa Viejo. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if it was the second, third year that they'd hosted it there. Um, it was particularly poignant to me because my dad was ill at home. Um, I wasn't going to go. I did go. Um, traveled with some great friends of mine um, from Denmark. Um, so we made it a social event as well as a obviously a race and a work event for me as well. But um, went there and built new cars, went testing them um, in Hesperia in the, the hot desert and basically came back to the race feeling fresh and, um, yeah, had a really close race and managed to win it. So for me to go home and take the trophy to my dad, who was ill at home at the time, was just very emotional, very, yeah, very, very um, I can very dramatic. Because we'd always said that the, the really race – off-road, on-road, whichever it be. Obviously, the, the American one was the primary one, was always kind of like the pinnacle of racing because you needed the look and the 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 skill and the everything to fall into your place, as you do with all races. But with, with you know, with heads-up racing, you needed probably a lot more of everything to, uh, to come out and be crowned champion. And against, again, some amazing competition. Reinhardt's were flying at the time and... I think Barry was doing well and all the Europeans were kind of like kicking on hard Victor Wilkes. Yeah. Um, it, Andy Moores. It was, yeah, it was just an incredible feeling to win that race. It's the one that I always wanted as well as the off-road race, which I never got to win. Yeah. It's, it's, 
my favorite 10 scale off-road race to be honest i love the heads up racing i hope uh we have it next year i haven't heard anything so far i know ocrc is uh pretty much done so it'd be interesting they'll probably put it in arizona i assume or maybe somewhere in socal we'll see maybe it goes back outdoors that'd be great too um okay uh so you've been uh 11 times european champ can you name like which classes uh, well that's a lot of times it says 11 times yeah. so you've been on this that's correct yeah yeah that's a lot of championships that's a lot of it's, championships i think spashet's actually got more i think he's got 14 i believe with really? um all the class all the classes that he's done so um yeah he's taken the the crown of glory from me with that one but um Yes, it started in 91, and um, it was all 10 scale between two-wheel drive and four-wheel drive, mm-hmm. um, obviously across Europe in the European Championship. So, And my last one was two-wheel drive at Teesside. So you'd be to Teesside. I didn't know they had a track uh, there. I didn't find it. Yeah, wow. it, it was kind of like in a field, and um, they built big bank um, – corners out of out of wood a wooden structure mm-hmm. and it was primarily on the grass so oh, it's okay. not it wasn't a permanent facility sweet so it's Wait, is that your favorite one which one is your favorite one that you've won the favorite european title mm-hmm. um that's a difficult one to say i think um four-wheel drive in finland was good in rauma against um against Yucca and Timu Leno. They were the guys that was um, doing the business back then. I think in the early days, it was the Kevin Moores and the Jamie Boos I was up against. And then in kind of like the the later 90s, it was um, the Yucca Stenaris. And obviously, Yucca went on to be very successful with his racing career, winning, I think, two or three world titles. But um, he was always my main rival. My priority was um, primarily to beat him because he was on the opposition as well, racing for Losey. I was associated so back then the, the obviously the the major rivalry was between them two companies so yeah it was um I think it it's was... happening again I'm definitely stoking that fire TLR it's I think it's like TLR versus AE and Mugen right now um in America I'm definitely yeah, yeah, stoking yeah. that but we need that I mean there was a rivalry like t- like back in the day if you listen to like when Greg would tell me back in America like when he was running gas truck and all that stuff like you had to win. Like it was like, yeah, we want all that man to be full of associated cars or TLR cars and stuff like that. Uh, low C cars. Sorry. Um, it, it was hard days to be honest. It was, um, you know, sometimes a little bit brutal. And I think, um, across the duration of my time running, um, at, at races like the, the Florida winter champs and stuff, it was, um, there was meetings that took place between managers and um, uh, and, and team owners and, and company owners to basically calm things down. Really? It got pretty bru- yeah, it got pretty brutal at times. It was um, it was it was great to be part of because it was such intense racing mm-hmm. and in, it, such intense rivalry. There was a few fisticuffs at times as well, which was um, you say never nice to see from the outside, but when you look back, it was kind of fun times, really. Just hey, to see as nobody the, gets the, hurt, man. The, the passion and yeah. uh, and the fuel, and then the adverts that fueled the fire as well. Kinwald sweeping up with um, with all the Losi cars, and I remember it was, all that. It, was, it was great history. It was um, it's never felt as intense as it like these days as it did back then. You know, we've got many more manufacturers in, in the industry now. Yeah, it, it, I think it's just so PC now. And that's just, and guys would tell you, oh, this is just another race. I'm like, this is just another race. Like, this is, 
you guys are battling each other. And um, yeah. I definitely want to see, I don't, obviously I don't want fisticuffs and stuff, but I want to see rivalry. And I am, I'm trying to stoke that because I think we need excitement and charisma and storylines in RC, like any other motorsports in the world, there's always something behind it. So from, from what I see is um, the guys are very, very intense on the racetrack. They always will be. Mm -hmm. But what I really like is the fact that, you know, the guys are actually good friends in the pits as well. Now you have a lot more time to socialize because everything's just plug and play. You know, the cars are actually really easy to work on. You know, you don't get 50 screws to take out the gearbox anymore. It's all kind of like just click fit. And, um, and it gives people a lot more time to be social at the races. Mm -hmm. And I think that's brought a lot of the fun back to RC that you're not just sat there. I remember days in, in, in touring that you just literally, you go to the racetrack, you say hello to somebody walking to your pit table and you are literally flat out the table to the racetrack marshal, flat out the table. And then by the time you get home, you're absolutely knackered. I could, I could see that. It was just so much work back then. So much prep beforehand, you know, polishing yeah. shock shafts. Like, Oh man! People, oh yeah, all the all the silly. You, you just I don't think people realize how lucky they are now to have a box that you can pretty much shake, and it's assembled. Oh man! I get people. Oh, I got a Dremel. This like a little two millimeters off something. Yeah, you know, take a Dremel and just do that. Oh no! That's, people are people are spoiled nowadays. They don't know how easy we have it. Like with these um, these kits just go together <laughs> so well. You know, engines too, well, right? You yeah, just, we're all art. All the old guys are artists with Dremels. Yeah, <laughs> they can do anything with a Dremel. They can make yeah. anything. They can. I know guys that still do. polish shock shafts to this day. I'm like, uh, uh, I'm not doing all that. It's it's too. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. All right, um, world. You've been a world's finalist in in five different classes. Uh, twelve scale Pro Ten two wheel drive, which is like a pan car. Was that um, like a a twelve uh a twelve cc and was that no that was electric. Right, electric, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it looks like it was all in in um onward that you was a world's finalist, correct? No, 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 no. no, no. no. Sorry, uh, sorry. World's finalist in five different classes. Sorry. Let's. It's two wheel drive, four wheel drive off road. Mm -hmm. Um, it would be twelve scale, um, touring, and uh, yeah, ten scale pan cars. Did you ever felt that one of those worlds you just like you should have won it? Which one did you think you should have won? Should have, could have, would have won the one in the UK where I got third. Um, that was Basildon. That was my, um, I think my one major chance to win a Worlds mm -hmm. uh, where I felt like I was competitive and right up the sharp end. Um, and basically um, just had some like rough incidents in the middle of the race, which kind of cost me, but that's the luck of racing. It's, um, it's just one of those things. People say, Oh, do you regret not winning? Well, well of course I regret it, but I don't regret what I did. And I'm quite proud of what I achieved. Um, making all in finals in many different classes. It's a good achievement and, um, and spanning such a long period as well. So it kind of kept my interest high with, uh, with switching classes and challenging myself. Mm -hmm. You, I did read in an interview that you said it also might have hurt you too from not focusing on on one class at one time. But at, at that time, in that period of time, I don't think it was possible to focus on one class because it changed so much. Yeah, we, we, I wasn't as intense as what the guys now, and I probably wasn't as intense as what the guys like Kinwald and Pavidas and them were uh, back then in the day, and, and particularly Masami who raised the bar and kind of, um, you know, did an immense amount of practice preparation 
and um, and running. You know, he was running every day with something that was RC just to keep his fingers in and keep himself sharp. And we, we never really had the opportunity here. And I see it with like uh, guys like Neil Craig, who's done really well throughout the years. Um, it, it, it's more natural talent than kind of like harnessed speed. So less like details on tuning. And that's what got frustrating when it became really particular on the tuning and the, the, the tire additives and the tire warmers and, you know, picking the right. I just wanted to go and race. That's what I loved. I loved heads up racing. And that's why I love the reader race so much. And I love just the competition side of things. I was always a really good racer. Back in the day when we started, it was straight line starts for club racing, for nationals. And that taught you how to race and race hard and fair. You know, nowadays you see guys that are amazing at qualifying, but when it comes to racing, they just can't, they can't do it. Yeah, I actually, we had Tebow on on our live a couple of weeks ago and he was, you know, he's, I would say he's a veteran now. And he was just saying, I'm driving at the best level that I have in my life. But he says, the pace out there of all these guys is just so intense. It's, yes, I it can't, is. it's like you make one mistake and you're just so far behind because everybody's just so fast and people are just pushing the limits. So I could understand that. Now you did dabble into eight scale. How long did you do that for? I did that for probably six years, maybe. Um, it was a tough class for me. Uh, didn't really do well at any major events. Did well at a couple of nationals, never won one, TQ'd one, um, but never quite felt connected to the car like I did with electric. There was always kind of some some disconnect and some kind of just funky feeling i just i didn't get it in my blood so with on-road i was fine but with off-road the third dimension was um was something that i couldn't quite grasp but i love the class i love the racing format i love the long finals the fact that you needed a pick guy i didn't enjoy the level of work that was required that was just it was just it it was just insane mm -hmm. trying to get prepared you know at least 10 hours prep a week trying to and that was kind of minimum really just to kind of get yourself going from week to week just to make sure everything was on top the running in of the engines the engine mm -hmm. tuning i just like i think for that class if i'd have had somebody that did everything for me mm -hmm. i would have been a lot more comfortable but again we were kind of fighting the car at the time for four of them years that was not really competitive against the opposition yeah i actually had that car it it was it was not very good to work on either. So yeah, it was it was a tough one. I think very first release was pretty good on the Astro and the and the the style of tracks that we race here, not the dirt tracks. Mm -hmm. And then aside from that, it was tough. So I I had my success on the Astro turf with the eight scale car, which is an unusual feeling. But I felt more comfortable with that. But um, the car works better on that surface as well. So once we got to the dirt, it was tough. Yeah, I just um, I, I didn't I didn't enjoy it. It just took me back to all the the times of the back end of the touring car testing a car that wasn't competitive and we struggled with. And it's just like I didn't want to do that anymore. It was I'm not an engineer. I couldn't figure things out as quickly as I wanted to, and I just wanted to be given something that worked and drive it. Well, so all right, I understand that. And if people <laughs> if people don't understand like that, the first AE car was not very good. Um, Oh, I, I found it amazing that Mayfield and those guys did well with it. When they did, uh, yeah. Yeah. How? I don't know. Like, if you, like, because the Losi came out at the same time, the Losi was really good because it was way different. And then the AE came out, and every I remember everybody was expecting, and it was just like, eh. Now it's good. Don't get me wrong. It's really good. Um, I mean, you guys, 
You guys just wander in buggy land, like so. No problem. It's been, well, it's been a long ride, though. It's yeah. um, it's taken a lot of time to kind of get to the place that we're at. Um, I think we've always, or up until recently, been you know seen as a second, a second tier platform for eight scale racing. Um, and I think we're just starting to find our feet now. Got some good runners in it. The car's mm-hmm. going well. It's an extremely competitive class. We're up against Mugen, Losey, all them guys that do it extremely well as well. Um, but I think I think we're in a good place right now. It feels actually with the whole um, associate side of thing, not to be corporate, but um, but it's it's feeling like the company is in in the best place I've known it right now. You know, I would I would not argue with that. Um, I look on Facebook. This is part of my loyalty to AE, man. It seems that people get on AE and they don't leave. And yeah. Um, I mean, Neil Craig is one of them. You're one of them. And you look at people like, like, look at Richard. He's been around for a long time. He's been on AE for a long time. Um, and I just, Americans that I know that have been on AE forever, like they would never think of switching and we are AE. And I, I think so too right now that Associated's in a really good position. You have a, the world current world champion. You have um, Spencer Rivkin and Aiden Horn. Um Aiden Horn and Cole, yeah. Aiden Horn's really good. Like I think yeah. that's the truth. And another guy that doesn't get his his props is uh, Cole Tallard, in American because I know the American. Yeah, guy, yeah, he yeah. doesn't get his props either. And those guys had two. Those two guys had a great nationals this past weekend, and I'm uh, sorry, this past year, and they've had a really good year in eight scale. And yeah, it just seemed like even just the 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 younger guys all like AE, you guys seem to have a really good, even in England, you guys have a good squad, you know, I'm not too familiar with AE and I'm in, in Europe too much. It seems to be popular in, in the UK and in Italy. I don't know how in other that's, regions. That's right. Yeah. I don't know about in other regions. Um, but I mean, to have a person like Neil Craig that's been there for like 25 years. That's you know what? Amazing. Neil, Neil's a, a, an enigma. It's, um, I was just starting to feel this year that things were kind of, tailing off a little bit for him euros prior to that hadn't gone so well two years prior to that before lockdown and um in the eight scale class mm-hmm. uh, particularly and i just i just started to feel that maybe his motivation was lacking and he'd come out this year swinging i mean how he didn't win the championship is well reliability and some some issues that you couldn't um you couldn't kind of oversee or or envisage happening with wires breaking and things like that but he came out swinging and at two or three of the national rounds this year was so so competitive and dominant you know tq every round of qualifying um when the semi goes into the final has an issue um and it's just, it's just for him to be so competitive and motivated after all these years it's um it's it's nice to see he still leads the troops over here which is which is good and he does it part time he's done it part time his whole career that's that's the thing about it like that's so amazing yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's always worked full time it's always been a, a hobby to him um obviously one that he's very passionate about and puts a lot of his um his time into and all his holidays from work so he still loves his racing he's, he, and he's still capable of doing extremely well at these events oh i agree but he's, he's a good mentor for the kids and he's taken um he's taken some of the young kids over here under his wing like the hall brothers mm-hmm. and he's i'm sure being instrumental in um in in, in pulling them up to um, up to a higher level and them guys are super motivated again it's a it's a very similar feeling um, set up with uh, like brothers 
family unit, mum and dad there, mum and dad are into racing. So that I've always strived to try and pull people like that into the team. I think, you know, when they're not all about the deal, they're about the brand, they stay for longer, they get better help, they're not after everything immediately, they're prepared to work hard and put the time in and um, and grind it out, which is great to see, and that's what you need. That's what you, like, people just don't understand that. That's what you need. It isn't switching chassis every six months. It's sticking yeah. to one and just grinding it out, man. RC's hard. RC is hard. It's not easy. Well, people get it too easy these days. Yep. Deals are, are too frequently given out to people that don't deserve them, and um, and they do just bounce from one brand to another when it's hitting hard and doing well, and they don't take the rough with the smooth anymore. They take the the smooth with the smooth. Yeah, I. You know what? I think we could we could talk for a whole another forty five minutes about <laughs> that. Uh, as being, I, I want to get into that in a minute, but I just wanted to I just wanted to say ask you why do you think. Um, People are so loyal to AE. Is it the history behind it? Is it just um, the the pedigree behind the brand? You know, it's, it's such a rich history. It's it's like these two brands. It's three brands that I think, through four, sorry. Four brands I think people are loyal to. It's AE. You see AE Stalwarts, Losi Stalwarts, Mugen, and uh, I had it on the tip of my book. Mugen, let's go come to Kyosho, yeah, yeah. I try not to work. <laughs> Kyosho kind of little is, is going down a lot. Um, how could I forget Kyosho? Like I, I detest Kyosho. How could I forget him? Uh, I don't detest him for real. I just don't like Kyosho. Um, I, I mean, I don't like him like that. I just it was it yeah, comes yeah, from yeah, a, a yeah. beef with a, a buddy of mine. We used to write. He was Mugen. I was Mugen. He was Kyosho. So I'm always been anti Kyosho. But why do you think the uh, AE draws that loyalty? I mean, you're a perfect example yourself. Um, I don't know. For for me, when I was kid, when I was a kid, and I was um, up and coming, and and looking at the races and watching the big race, I got to see the worlds in Basildon in England, um, and it just I don't know, it just resonated with me. Um, one of my heroes was Jamie Booth. He ran associate at the time um, at the worlds in in Basildon. Um, Mike told Jamie to keep an eye on me. Mike Reedy, that is, mm -hmm. so gave me a jacket and just little things like right. that always stuck in my mind. So this jacket I wore to bed, I wore it everywhere because it was given by Mike Reedy and, and loved it. And um, and it just I don't know. I just I never felt like I wanted to go anywhere else when I started and when I saw the AE guys. And the products were so cool back then, and and, and different and innovative. I just um, I just took it on board and, and never envisaged leaving. Of course, during that time, when you see that you're struggling with a platform and we're a year away from making something new, it was really tough. And that's what I try to instill in the guys now is like, you know, the long haul. The big picture is, you know, where do you want to see yourself in 10 years' time, not just tomorrow. If you want to win tomorrow and you want the best deal, then by all means go and jump ship. So um, it always hurts me when our team guys leave, mm -hmm. but some of them are paying customers and they're entitled to do that. It just tells me that we're not doing a good enough job with looking after the guys when they do or they're not really wanted if that's what they have in their Demeanor. I get it. That's what that's what they do. You know, it's like this, yes, it this hurts, is RC, but, dude. This is RC. Yeah. Uh, I've been through it. I mean, I've seen a guy literally go through. I don't even know how some people get sponsors anymore. But unfortunately, this is the the um, the business model that the industry has chosen to take. Yeah, I, I've been on both spectrums. I've given out too many deals that I shouldn't have given out. But you you, you yeah. kind of have to do that. Like you know what I mean, and. 
I've seen it come back and bite me in the ass. Yeah, you sell a lot of cars, but it bites you in the ass because you, you obviously get people that aren't of quality running your vehicle and then they break it and then they do that and it just makes your vehicle look bad. It, it, you know, like when, when you have a good, a decent driver who can do it and understands that, hey, this, this isn't like, you know, I got to do this and do that. But it, it, it's, it's weird. Like, and I've also been a guy that's asked for a deal. I think I've gotten a, one deal in my life and then I realized, what? This isn't really a deal. Yeah. So I didn't really do it i think that the heritage definitely yes. helps uh, like keeping people on board with associate mm -hmm. i think you know at one time we probably lost a lot of guys when we didn't have a mid-motor car at the time and mm -hmm. the four-wheel drive wasn't great and the eight scale wasn't kicking on so every kind of platform was struggling at, at the same time uh, the touring car wasn't successful then it was uh, struggling against the modern cars and and basically um with, like I say from earlier, we've got ourselves into a really good position with the company, the engineering department's doing really well. Um, the speed of releases, the innovation, um, the, the team dynamics, it's, it's just all working really well at the minute. So it's it's got a very good, strong, positive feeling surrounding it. So I think now the the hardcore fans have, have got something to kind of be happy about again. Yeah, I, I mean, you have two of the best drivers in the world too. Like, Riff, uh, Ongaro, who just won at Buggy Land convincingly here. Yeah. Max picked him too. Max has been right. Every picks we've made this year. He, see, I pick with emotions and heart. He picks with yeah. tech, like proof and facts and evidence. Um, it's, it's funny with Ongaro. It's, um, you, you know, it's, I think he, he rocks a few boats because he's competitive and he's the guy to beat, mm -hmm. but he's, um, he's just undeniably talented. I mean, I, I texted him after the race. I said, well done. I said, um, anything new? What's happening? Um, what are the other brands up to? How come you only qualified fifth? <laughs> but he did have a bad uh, first qualifier. He was like done in 23rd, 24th or something. If I yeah, but he said to me, I said, was the car a problem? What's going on? And he said, no, no, no. The car was really good. We had to make some changes. He said, but um, he said, honestly, they, they started at like 2 a.m. Oh. So he, he was having qualifiers. He said, I was really sleepy and not with it. I made lots of mistakes. Um, and that carried on through nitro. He said, electric was brilliant. I was, uh, you know, zero mistakes. And, um, he said in the final with the nitro, he did it. He made zero mistakes and, and, and obviously his car was good enough to go on and win. But I think after qualifying fifth, it was kind of, it was a little bit written off almost. I, I wrote him off. Yeah. I wrote him off. <laughs> um, Never write him off. No, and he's I, super pumped about the Euros uh, being in Portugal and also the Worlds being in Redaban. I hope to see him at DNC in February. Um, yeah, I, be I believe he's coming over or at least trying to. Yeah, I, I think he's seen success in America with RCGP, but he kind of needs to do that at like a DNC, Silver State, PMB, something like that as well. It doesn't matter. He's a world champion and he will do it and he's still young. I'm trying to get him on the podcast. He keeps saying he'll do it, but we never can. I know he's nervous. Uh, I know he's nervous it, about it, his it, English. It, it, I can't get him to do interviews over here either because yeah. of the English. If you write, if you write it, he'll do it. If you vocalize good. it. He's yeah. good. He, he is good. He's much better than he thinks he is yeah. for sure. Um, I told him, hey, Marco did it. And I didn't think he, I thought you spoke more English than Marco. And he is, he's like, yeah, yeah, we do it, you know, uh, you know, I, I know, I know. All right. Um, a <laughs> couple more questions and then we're going to close this up. I know you have to run. Uh, when did you decide to retire? What was the fun, like retire from professional racing and trend? What was the reason and transitioning from, or maybe you was working in the industry. I'm not sure, but transitioning yeah. from being a full on pro driver to becoming a team manager and whatnot. 
Yeah, it's funny actually. I had a, an old racing buddy of mine contact me um, a couple of months ago and said, "Can I just ask you a personal question?" He said, um, "He said, you know, when do I know it's right to retire?" And I was like, "You cheeky so and so." But no, it's. Um, I, I just felt my time was done, and I never made it official. I still and I still do do races now, um, but I just pick a few a year and, and, and go to enjoy it. Um, the guys pester me to do the local club series here, which I do and, and did and will continue to do as well, indoor racing just with a two-wheel drive 10-scale car. But um, I, I'd say I've not really like raced in anger for five, six years maybe. Mm-hmm. So, uh, And it was kind of like the eight-scale was the, the kind of last class that I did. I've been asked to go back and do some stuff in 10-scale four-wheel drive to get some stats going where we had so many national champions and past European champions racing at one event for Paul Worsley. Um, and I will continue to do that. I really like being at the racetrack. The iconic stuff is brilliant for socializing, but promotions as well. You know, it's, it's really nice to see kind of what the companies are doing and, um, and what products are out there. And I like to attend the races to touch base with the drivers, see what's going on up and coming, see what the other, the other companies are doing, and just to feel where we're at generally with the numbers that we've got the race the feeling of the team so i'll never bow out completely and make it official that i've retired but um you know as far as like competitive racing yeah five six years ago for me okay. how was the transition into becoming a full-scale team manager from from that well the sales side was something i've done for years and years back in the gene days so i was always kind of doing that anyway mm-hmm. so it's just been a really nice transition you know i've just started getting out to visit dealers again which is is always really nice and we'll continue to do that now we're allowed to so that's always nice to do and um, obviously drop in to see our european distributors as well which um hopefully i'll get the chance to do this year or yes. at least 2022 yeah. yes yes to tie that in with some international racing and um, and obviously visit some accounts out there, which which is good. So the transition was um, was easy. I mean, it was something that I'd always done anyway. So um, so it just kind of you know as the racing kind of slowed down, the work side picked up more, and then that just continued to the point that it is right now. Awesome, awesome. And you got I see you got Bloomers. Bloomers is running AE. He finished. He, he won. He won the last national, yeah. finished third in the championship. So he was he was really pumped. I think Darren actually this year has been a real asset to the team. He was, I, I have to say personally that, um, and I spoke to him for an hour and a half the other day uh, just to say that I'm I'm really proud of him for doing what he's done because I guess at the back end of the the Nemo days things were a little bit tense. He was you know not conducting himself in the best way. He kind of fallen out of love with RC and. Uh, there's just lots of things that went on, you know, he's one of them, you know, super competitive, but moody when things didn't go right. And, um, he called me up pre-season. He tested one of our, one of our guys' cars and said, is there anything there for us? So we sorted something out through the distributor and it was, you know, it was nowhere near anything that he'd been on before. It's just, um, you know, a, a limited budget drive. And he said, I just want to be part of the team. I want to prove to myself that I can do it for myself. I want to help the team out. You know, if it means cooking bacon sandwiches when I got the barbecue there or supplying some parts and helping somebody out, I want to do it. And I was a little bit apprehensive, but he's done everything and more than what he said he would do. And it's been, it's been a real asset to the team this year in the UK. And super and, talented and still, uh, still fast. 
I'd, I'd say, in all honesty, probably one of the most talent, naturally talented mm-hmm. drivers that you could wish to meet. You know, for the success he's had in the past, for the amount of time that he's put in, it's um, it, it's unbelievable. He's he's always like been that way, and mm-hmm. he raced for Schumacher for a season, doing ten scale. Uh, dropped in and did like uh, four races and won four races, won the championship, um, and and he'd not done any practice, any testing. He just he's so naturally talented. He so is. it's great. It's good for us that he picked our our car. It wasn't through the deal. It had much better deals. And he still continues to get much better offers, but wants to choose our products and he's really happy moving forward. So he feels like he's in a good place. Got a great team around him here in the UK with uh, with some great guys like young kids, up and coming lads. You know, mentors like Neil, the Hall mm-hmm. brothers. We've got um, Bradley Baird from Ireland. It's just it's just a really nice squad of guys there's no ill feelings everybody's encouraging everybody to do well so all the bad apples have kind of gone and it's just it's just a nice environment to be in yeah it, it, i forgot about bradley i haven't spoken to him for a while he had no racing in ireland for a minute he had another kid too so that probably slurred him up a little bit um yeah man i i like bloomfield he's the first ever eight scale uk champion European champion, sorry, first ever. yeah 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 that's <clears throat> true yeah he, he's definitely talented i enjoyed my chat with him and um, it's glad to see people like that race. When we lose guys like that, we really lose, lose some talent and some 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 history in RC. And it's good to see people like that come back and race again and enjoy it this time. He's, so, he's enjoying it, and that's that's the main thing. I think the success is coming from the enjoyment. And again, he's he's using his national races as his practice for the next national race. Mm-hmm. Is is not dropping into doing races in between and test sessions and getting himself tied in knots. He's just doing the best he can do at the race. And I'm sure if he was to put more time in, he'd, he'd be stronger still. But maybe now he's got a flavour for it. Next year will be a little bit different because there'll be a bit more pressure on him. He'll be putting more pressure on himself, and that's kind of where that um, where that slippery slope takes you with oh, the racing. Yeah, and the, yeah. co- the competition side will will bind him up again. But um, I think he's in a good place. He's, he's done. He's got his career path going. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got he's got kids. Got, he's married. He's um, he's in a good place. He, he seems really kind of settled and and sorted, which is really nice to see. I would agree. I would agree with that. Um, real quick before we go, uh, what's your opinion on? On our industry and RC at the moment, what would you like to see change? I see you're a big, uh, a big proponent of of the youth, which I am as well. I think we don't. Yeah. I think we don't uh, push the youth enough in RC. We're too worried about old farts like me. Uh, the youth matter because when we go, they will come here, and we need to make RC better for them. So, what are some of the things you don't like right now? You'd like to see change and maybe focus on coming into the future for, for RC as a in a in a whole racing. I think the racing side has kind of, like after COVID, it's kind of like chilled a little bit. People are just happy to be racing. So the fun aspects come back to it. Yes, it's still competitive, but it's more social than ever right now. And I hope people continue to have that and not just get themselves tied up in knots because I think uh, from the youth side, um, we need these kids coming in. We need to make it accessible. The cost is a big inhibitor uh, with tires, especially in 10 scale. Um, obviously eight scale choices, no tire controls there as well. Mm. Eight scales, obviously a more expensive class to get into. So I'd focus primarily on the 10 scale two wheel drive stuff because it's a good, um, it's a, it's a good door opener. You know, it's cost effective. It's, it's easy and simple to work on. It's good to kind of get your head around. Um, but the tires are a problem here. Um, they're a problem everywhere, dude. They're a problem everywhere. Yeah. Just, you know, 
the fact that we do have controlled tire events, but it's not capped at one set. Um, oh. uh, yeah, so it's like you get regional races with people putting new tires on, like mm-hmm. 12 sets of tires used throughout a weekend. Normal people can't afford to do that. You know, the Brussels side of things is brilliant. The LiPo side of things is brilliant. The electronic side is, you know, you could run two or three seasons on the same equipment almost. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, pl- it's plug and play, like I said before, but the tire side definitely needs to be a major consideration for getting people involved. And in the UK, we used to have like a PRO officer that went around to schools for the BRCA and they do shows and, and it, and it, we just don't see any of that anymore. So we're not, we're not marketing ourselves to, to the right people. It's to people like us, the, the legends that we're focusing on. And you go to these races and it's the same guys and it's just getting older and older. Yes, there are new kids coming in, but um, we definitely need to do more as an industry to get people involved in it. I don't know how we connect them. Right. We have to make a but, coup. And- yeah. I, I've come up with all sorts of crazy ideas in the past and all my all my lot just laugh their heads off at me. You know, the indoor racing, there should be lights out, there should be neon lights marking the track and yeah, neon lights see- on the car. And- yeah, they did that. Um, One of my sponsors, TNR Fuels, and uh, um, Chris Nelson, he put LED lights on the, like he did a race, a TNR race. And he put LED lights on, the, on all the piping of the track. So at nighttime it was on and it looked, it looked good. It looked badass. I think we need to kind of uplift these youth. You know what I mean? We need to, yeah, definitely. we need to stop. Like I, every time I see a young guy do well at one of these big races, you see somebody like a, a company will post, Oh, he's, he's doing this. or he's, he's sponsored by this person. And that's why and it, look, man, you, you don't take away from these kids who are doing well. Like, you know what I mean? They, they still yeah. have to, they still have to drive and they still have to do things like that. I just, it really aggravates me because I have young kids and I would like to see them do RC. And I just think we've kind of gone away from that, man. It used to be, I get it. We need fathers and sons and we need mentors and all that stuff. And that's kind of lacking in RC. But that's where people like us come in and we could come in and met, like we see a, a family over there. They're struggling. We need to go in there and, and talk to them and, and mentor them. The, cl- the clubs don't do that anymore. You mm. know, the clubs and the club guys, um, it's, it's starting to come back around now because some of the smaller clubs are really happy to get mm-hmm. new people coming along and they're trying to nurture them relationships. But um, yeah, it's, the, the clubs have got too competitive. So if there's a fast guy on the track and a slow guy got in his way, it's like, what the hell are you doing? Who's that guy? Mm-hmm. Rather than going, oh, there's new guys on the track. Top guys, please be aware. The track's for everybody. And if something happens, go and help them. If they struggle, go and help them. We're seeing a little bit more of it now, but, you know, them kids get intimidated when they go to a racetrack. So the clubs do need to try and cater for it with, I don't know, stock class racing or control class racing or some form of cheap racing where the guys can just run and and there needs to be enough of them to be able to run together. But, um, but you know, the, the cost side, getting them involved, first of all, is a bit of a problem. But once they're there, we need to look after them. And uh, the, the kids that do get looked after do really well and enjoy it and um and move forward with it so they they you know they they feel the love that uh, we all felt when we were kids doing something a little bit different not connected to a screen something that's kind of like out there running around that you're controlling that's not like not connected to something you know it's yeah. um it's got a mind of its own almost i think we should just have a i mean we, they do have a junior euros and a junior worlds but i think we should just have like give these kids if they're gonna be involved in like say a kid goes to Duros and he's doing well, let's really like make a big deal about it. Like you know what I mean? And, and I, I like to with all the kids that we have on our team, I really like to make a fuss of them and mm-hmm. um and you know keep my eye out for them as well. I think another thing as well is like the clubs should be 
you know, forgetting if my starts and all this for club racing, it should be heads up racing, straight line starts, make it fun. You know, it, it, it's the, the racing side is what we want to be doing 90% of the time and 10% qualifying or practice, not the other way around. I would agree with you 100% there. Yeah. I, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I love this stuff. I just want to see it get bigger and grow. If yeah. it gets bigger, it's better for everybody. Uh, I don't know how we do that, but I know we have to work together as a collective to do that. And um, <clears throat> we have to all do our part to make RC cool, accessible, and help new people get in. Uh, one Definitely. track in America, used, like I remember they're telling me, uh, I think it was RC3. They put signs on each person's ta- on table, said, hey, uh, come up and ask me questions. I'm here to help you. Like, So each person there was like Brilliant. an ambassador. So if you had a new person there, you, you came. And this is the way we need to think. And, and stuff like that. I also, for me personally, I don't know how you feel about this. I definitely think, um, if you see it, but I see, I see too many people getting into RC racing and immediately having uh, these visions of becoming a professional Grand driver yeah. and, and <laughs> yeah. all this type of stuff. And I think, yeah. for me, I think where I'd like to see a change of that is, and I don't know how you feel as a team manager, I think we need a, def- a, a line between professional drivers and amateurs so we can separate that and we can kind of get away from I'm a pro, everybody's a pro. You know what I mean? I get it. Everybody feels it's, like a pro. It's a difficult one because I guess that's what you guys do over there. It's yeah. like what level is considered sponsored driver, stroke professional. It's it's a difficult line to draw in the sand, I guess, which um, we don't have that problem here because we it's all thrown together for right, one class. Right, right. We go eight scale racing and Jimmy will be competing against Darren. Yeah. You know, it's... Um, uh, and obviously Darren's the better driver and will will do better than Jimmy. But one of the things I, I, I've been working on or looking at for the back end of this year is like the team dynamics for us, which is the young guys that feel afraid to kind of go and ask the, the pro guys or the, the higher guys in the team, the, the more competitive guys, questions. So I think next year we're going to try and mix the pits up a little bit. So we line them up differently. So actually the... The, the, the mid to lower level guys are actually with the, the good guys and mix the pits up a little bit. So it's not just all the guy, the yeah. good guys at one end. So we interact more as a team that can ask questions across the table rather than feeling they've got to go up and ask somebody and like, oh, you know, if they're a little bit shy. And it's also good for the top guys to kind of mix things up and uh, and help the, the other guys because – once you get racing, you're involved in the race and you don't really think about, oh, I just wonder if that guy over there is happy. Yeah. You know, that's if I'm there, that's kind of what I do. But I think it's it's nice that we can change things up and have, have, have the interaction within the team, which we don't currently do, but it's looking like we want to do, do that moving forwards. Awesome, man. Awesome. Um, I like AE. I, I run the 10 scale stuff when I get it um, or whatever. I mean... If I ran 10 scale, I did, I have oh, a bunch of AE cars there back there. Um, that was when I, my first 10 scale, real 10 scale car was an AE car way back in the day. I love their heritage too. Um, I love talking to guys like you because I get to learn about what you went, what you done. And, you know, I, I keep hearing how much of a legend you are and I can see, you know, you've been, you've been <laughs> legend, around for a long time. <laughs> Um, but you have some really good ideas. You have some really good insight into the industry. And I always like to get those views from people. Um, because I work in the industry too, so it's it's hard. But I definitely, I definitely think for us to go forward as an industry, we all have to kind of put um, brand loyalty to a side and try to go together as collectively. You know, we need to grow definitely. RC collectively. 
Um, yeah. I know you got to run. We've run out of time, so I'm going to let you go. Uh, would you I like to say? That. Would you like to say thank you to anybody before we uh, get out of here? Everybody, all the RC fans that are out there, thank you for um, for making this hobby, this industry, what it is today. It's um, it's a fantastic industry to be in, and um, I hope off the back of the COVID um, issues that we've had and the increase in popularity in RC that we've seen, that that continues to move forward and um, it has a positive impact on the industry in the future. But I, um, that's a good that's a good statement. I would, I would 100% get behind that. <laughs> and next time I come on, I'm going to have a cool studio like you. Yeah, man. You got you to gotta, you gotta set up your office. I see all this stuff in the I back there. That. That's awesome. Hey, and say what's up to his arrogant Max. That's his new name. Somebody left a review on the podcast <laughs> and said, wow, I like the podcast, but Max's arrogance is off the charts. So that's his new name is arrogant Max. He's, he's actually been buzzing me whilst you've been um, online, which I don't think he knows it's going on at the minute. So I'll get back in touch with him in a bit. Oh, I, I enjoy having Max. He's super smart, super smart, super smart. He is smart. really nice guy. Another good guy to have on the team for yeah. sure. All right. Well, you have a good day. Drive safe. And um, thank you for your time, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time, Lefty the Great. <laughs> great disappointment. <laughs> have a good day. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We are now at that point of the show where you should fasten those seatbelts and put your big boy pants on. Things are about to get serious. It's time for the JQ Racing Rant. Well, yes, indeed. It's that time of the podcast. It's time for the JQ Racing Rant. And if you already for some real ranting you've come to the spot because we got some i got a rant i'm gonna start off my rant right now so this is episode number 146 of the no name rc podcast and well done joseph you have officially made this the most drawn out longest recording session ever it's literally taking me five days to record two hours with you congratulations you just stepped up it to a whole different level. So real quick, so people understand, their podcast is late this week, right? It's late because of this guy, as usual, right? So we recorded one hour on Friday. Then the electricity went out, and then his phone died because he was driving in France somewhere, and he made it to France in some, some hotel in the middle of nowhere that was haunted. So he didn't have no signal. like no, He had signal, but his phone died because, you know, JQ never charges up his phone, right? Never. So he's like, all right, we'll finish it tomorrow. Or we couldn't do it tomorrow. I, I got busy. So, hey, no, was it? No, so we said, we'll do it. No, we'll do it on Monday, right? We'll finish on a Monday because you went to MXGP. Monday comes along, we record another hour. And I'm like, hey, Joseph, I got to go because you took so long to get to this other part of France that you're at now, right? So, any, hey, anyway, he's like, I'm tired. I can't record anymore. We'll record tomorrow. We'll re no, we'll record tomorrow at 6 a.m. your time. So, who's up like an asshole at 5 a.m. drinking his coffee at the office at 6? Why am I off at the office at 6 o'clock in the morning? Damn well knowing that you won't be there till 7. I don't know why I do this to myself all the time, right? I don't know why. So anyway, 7 o'clock comes. This guy sends me a screenshot 135 kilometers out from his destination. I'm like, 
235. Okay. Even worse, 235 kilometers outside of his destination. We're supposed to be recording at 6 a.m. It's now 7. So, anyway, I get busy doing a few other things, editing everything, getting everything ready. So excited that we only have to record another 20 minutes. Oh, he's like, well, when I get to my destination, I'll message you, and then we record real quick. <laughs> Five hours later, Lefty says, what's up, JQ? Where are you? Oh, I forgot. If I could have went through my phone and strangled you, I would. He forgot. And then to make it, then to top it all off, the electricity went off her and I couldn't do nothing all afternoon. So thank you, JQ, for making episode 146 officially the most stressful episode for Lefty. Congratulations. I thought you was actually getting better at doing things. No, no, no. You just stepped it up to a whole new level of disorganization and, and lateness. So thank you. I... <laughs> I thought you was getting better. I just see you just went to a whole nother level. Even Max said. But, <laughs> Max said what? He says, how the hell is he so disorganized? I was like, you should know you spent 10 years with the guy. You know he can't do anything on time. You're the type of guy that will be late to your own funeral, and then you will complain that people aren't burying you right. You know what? This podcast has been recorded in three different countries. I think that's quite cool. <laughs> that is too. That is cool. Or four if we count yours. Yeah, Spain, France. So look at the positive side. I know. But anyway, we're here. Uh, we're sorry we're late with everything, people. Uh, it's all his fault. All right, Joseph. Um, that was funny. But you're in Italy. Uh, you're all excited. You're hanging out with Mao. You're at the track now, actually. So you're doing some testing. Yeah. How's that going real quick? You are taking time off my testing, so let's get this done. Oh, yeah, but, but you wanted to do the rant. So anyway, let's get on with what you want to rant about because you was you was a little bit upset after Buggy Land. Yeah, I have a rant. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Miguelo has been hanging out with Joey. Okay? That's fine. That's fine. They can... Uh, uh, exchange uh, track building notes and how to make even more awesome tracks. That's good. But there's another development that I'm a bit worried about. <laughs> and that development is most likely at some moment, a discussion has uh, been had about how to make more money with races. And the solution for a race organizer, how to make more money is to maximize the amount of entries. How do you do that? You only have a limited amount of people. So you create more classes that the same people can enter. So instead of just entering one time and racing to your heart's content, you make the race so that that same person enters two or three or even four different classes. So they are paying multiple entry fees. Even though the amount of people is the same, mm -hmm. you as a race organizer can make more money. Now, to an extent, this is fine because we are all of different skill level. So if this was my hobby, I can compare to motocross. I wouldn't like to go racing against Antonio Cairoli and Jeffrey Hurlings, right? I just, that's, it wouldn't make any sense because I am so far off their level. I would enjoy racing my level guys more. Even, even if, if uh, we consider that they're seeding and you are in a heat with, you know, 
that drivers of your skill level still it's it's kind of more fun at some point when you are racing to win instead of racing to be 127th you know i i get that i understand so i understand how some class separation can make it more fun for people but here we run into the issue when you have the same car that and you can enter it into multiple different uh, classes so you aren't anymore just racing because of a skill level thing it's also you're racing like open class and 35 plus class and uh, this other class and then on top of that there's electric and nitro in those then there's a truggy and there's electric truggy then then it becomes a situation where the value of each class is diminished so with that entry you don't get as much enjoyment anymore it becomes a situation where to go to a race, you really have to race multiple classes for it to be fun, because otherwise you're just sitting around waiting, mm -hmm. you know? So that's my worry about where this is heading, because now we had, I think, four different nitro buggy classes alone. And then on top of that, there was e-buggy and uh, nitro truggy. And uh, it's just getting to the point where we need to find the balance. European races have been awesome. Mostly they just have uh, one class, but sometimes they are split into two. And that's fine. Everyone gets a lot of track time with that one entry. If you want, you can go to a race and just have one entry and that's enough. Mm -hmm. uh, but the way things are going, it looks like uh, at least this race now in Europe is heading towards that uh, US style of just oh, yeah, maximize yeah. the amount of classes and entries and then each class the value of what you get is just it's it's not good anymore. Oh. And also when when the attitude shifts to that what tends to happen is the goal of making a fun enjoyable race and and sort of focusing on the value returned to the racer that starts getting forgotten. Now it it's not the case at Buggyland yet, you know. Everything was great. There was a buffet. I mean, buffet. There was a bar with drinks and food and uh, good pit space. And everyone had ele uh, electricity and chairs and tables and tents. And, like, everything was taken care of. Good compressor for cleaning the cars, all of that. But I'm just saying, I, we are seeing the signs of heading in that direction. And it's not good. Well... Oh, so we need to nip it in the bud right now. Well, uh, to be fair, you're not the only person complaining about that. So I saw lots of reports from this race talking about the same thing. You know, they're just not happy with how it was done. And <clears throat> yeah, I can, yeah, I can get that. And, and also my, 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 my main, main, my main gripe with this was the absolute. Look, all right. First off, I'm happy that we had. Chris from Circus RC there. I enjoy when he does pictures and, you know, the inside looks and his, his website stuff. But Chris is not a live streaming service. You know what I mean? He, he streamed that race for his French viewers. And that's, that's not his thing. He's just doing it from his phone. He's not there to stream. I, we talked about this race. We did a preview for this race. We thought there was going to be cover. You know, I thought Info RC was going to be there. I was so fucking pissed when I found out they weren't there. And then there was nobody there. And then, it, you know, this is only the second time we've got to see all you guys race this year. Second time, you know. Second time we got to see the pro guys in Europe race. And 
we didn't get to see them race. So at this awesome track, this great, this awesome track in the middle of Madrid, you know, great racing going on, and we couldn't really watch it. We had to follow it. The only way I could watch it was to follow it with, uh, you know, with my phone. And then wh- I was watching what Chris was showing. So I want to know what the frick happened. Why was not? Why wasn't Info RC there? What's going on? I I don't know, but I think something happened, like some sort of uh, some sort of personal kind of level issue happened. I think there was supposed to be coverage, but for whatever reason, reason uh, something went wrong to where there wasn't. So I, I think originally the plan was that there okay. would be some coverage, but then for something happened and then InfoRC didn't show up, and I don't know who's who's to blame or who gets the biggest slice of the blame pie. Miguel or the organizing club or InfoRC, I don't know. But I do believe that there was a plan in place for there to be coverage, not like RC Racing TV level mm-hmm. coverage, but something, right? Right. But, but then it didn't happen for whatever reason. So next year, definitely, I mean, we're working towards, I mean, I'm pushing for it too and kind of well, pitching I, the idea to have proper coverage for this they should. next year. Well, here's my question, Joseph. Uh, I know that Miguel, wasn't Efra supposed to be involved with Miguel in this whole like Masters of Europe thing a couple of years ago or something like that? No, I don't think Efra okay. was. Efra is doing the thing with the national federations where um, control or RC right, Racing right, right. TV. I know, and I know that. That stuff, like they are doing the national races of the federations, but I get not that. these races. I, I get believe. that. Well, this would have been a great uh, collaboration to do. You know what I mean? They could have done it, it would have been, they could have done it like oh, yeah, yeah. used InfoRC or used the, the cameras there and then just had Nick and, and, and Matt. That, I was hoping they would do that. So, Afra, if you guys, I, I don't know what the relationship is with Magalu and them. I, I might be shaky, but I, I just thought this was a good opportunity for them. To do this, but I, I understand that. I understand probably why they weren't there. Yeah, but the thing is that I hope that it doesn't get to the point where um, Miguel feels the race was a success because mm-hmm. uh, there were a lot of entries and uh, it made good money, and that's it. Because there are so many other things that you need to consider for was this a success or not. Right. And a lot of people that I heard talking were saying that uh, they weren't really happy with with the uh, way there were so many classes and and that one entry didn't really get the value. Now there's one thing that happened which which makes it's 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 like get out of jail free card almost. So because of rain scheduled for Sunday, they changed the three day rate to two day rate. Yeah, so we raced everything on Friday and Saturday of Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So that meant that we were 8 a.m. to well, you're breaking up really 1 a.m. Okay. But this schedule change made it so that it was a bit of a shit show in some way that... Uh, so the schedule change made it so it was a bit of a shit show in some respects, the race, you know, because of the scheduling and all that stuff. But it was kind of forgiven in in a sense, like, oh, well, this is extreme circumstances. Mm. So had it been normal and had there been any kind of uh, issues then where people don't feel satisfied, then it would be more legit to complain. Does that make sense? I agree with you. They ran the race fine. No problem. But I mean that because this because of this, 
it's like, well, this was extreme case. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I, I get that the rain kind of gave it an, an excuse, you know, so people weren't stuck there all day and whatnot. I fully understand that. I just think, uh, as as RC fans, I know I got a lot of people messaging me asking me where's the coverage for Buggyland. And I felt like an idiot because I thought there was going to be coverage. And I just, you know, I just wanted to see these guys race again because <clears throat> we haven't gotten to see them race. And I wanted to see you race. And, we, and, and honestly, we just couldn't tell with, um, with, Chris's, with Chris's stream. And, and that's no, I'm telling you, that's no, nothing against Circus RC. That's not what they do. You know what I mean? I think if Info RC would have been there, like he does a good job on his own. So it's quite a shame that the, the fans of RC did not get to watch this. And I hope, I hope Miguelo, I mean, I guess there's some space for a race like that in Europe, but I don't know if Europeans really like that. I mean, it was like three or four, five truggers in pro. Did they run all the truggers in the same heat or something like that? I can't remember. I think there was a full hit at least, yeah. Ah, okay. But it's just, yeah, let's limit, the, let's not start this game of just add 35 plus. What yeah. the fuck is that? Let's be honest. I mean, I raced it. It was good for me because I, I could only race Nitro Buggy. Mm-hmm. So I had two classes of Nitro Buggy. So for me, yeah, I liked it because of that. But I know that that 35 plus class is basically just making the day longer for most people at the track and reducing the value they get from one entry. I agree. I agree with you. That's how it is. That it's also when you have three skill level classes, it's too much. I agree For, with you. If you want to be a big race like this, then yeah, don't do that shit. Seriously. It's right. it's yeah, maybe you do get the entries, but you need to strike a balance between how to make a great event for the people who go and how to still make money. There's I a agree. balance you can strike there. I agree. Um, real quick before we, we, we let you go, Joseph, any rumors, any, anything you're hearing for 2022 coming out of this race? You always hear things or we can't talk about, are we going to save that for another podcast? Well, this race actually, I was sort of thinking like, yeah, I haven't been to a race in such a long time, you know, good time to catch up with people. But then with the schedule change, everyone was just so busy, you know, and then second day, so tired. So I didn't really speak with that many people about stuff. I do know that there are some changes coming. I can say one thing. So it seems like uh, Baruffalo is switching to techno. Really? Which is kind of out of left field, but I heard it from two different people now, and uh, so it really looks like that's happening. Well, he he was signed up for AMS. So that's, I uh, yeah. But he's not going. He's not going now. Uh but I mean, techno needs a, a top European oh, okay. driver. So, I yeah, I can see yeah, this being so a good I guess move they, for they them. Have him. So this could be a good move for him. Uh, yeah. That'd be interesting. I'm hearing some rumors. But too. I would expect some movement in silly season this year. Well, it's gonna be a lot. We're gonna see a lot of. Uh, um, I th- I because of COVID maybe, but I think we'll have some uh, changes coming. Oh, I, I I know there's some changes coming. I know. So, but that's that's for later. We gotta keep people. You know, interested. You know, keep people interested. Silly season is going to be awesome. All right, Joseph, I'm going to let you go. I know you have to track. Hey, guys, we have an NNRC Discord. Now it's open. If you want to join that community, it's really cool. We get to know each other better and talk about other things besides RC. The link for that is in the written description of this podcast. Joseph, thank you for your time. Even though this podcast took five, 
five days to record. So wh- real quick, what's next for you after the Reds uh, GP this weekend? And of course, that happens. He gets kicked from the he gets kicked off from the call because he's probably on his last bar of his phone. So with that said, I'm gonna let Joseph go. He's going to the uh, the Reds GP this weekend. He's there testing. He's got the new Mayako. He's trying to come in. Oh, are you coming in now? Look at him hiding in his van. Hiding in his van. Yeah, real quick. Uh, Reg GP this weekend, Joseph. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Yes, yeah, so Reg GP in Italy. And then uh, after this race, I head to France. There's a club race in Belf- Belfort. It's spelled so Belfort. I don't know how they would say it in French. Uh-huh whatever it is so sort of middle middle of the country on the east border okay so yeah club race in france and that's kind of on the way back to finland so at the end of this month i'll be back in finland then fingers crossed don hearn jet in december if that's still the plan yeah that's right yeah that doesn't yeah. sound too confident that's Joseph. The plan. that doesn't sound too confident all right, let me let you go, man. I know no, you gotta... that's still the plan. All right, well, you got to get back. Uh, thank you for your time. I know it's been difficult. I know even everybody knows mic quality isn't good. We've gone back two years in time, and he was doing this strictly off his uh, his iPhone, his shitty iPhone mic. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Enjoy your time. Will we have any coverage from RegGP? Nothing? Doubt it. I think modelismorc.net or whatever All right, we'll, we'll be there. We'll put the links in uh, in the Discord and on Facebook and, and all that stuff. Uh, enjoy your testing. Yeah. I know you're excited. Tell Mao I said hello, and I'll bring him some cigars when we meet at RCGP next year. And Okay. All right, man. Thank you for your time, and I'll talk to you later on. All right? Yep. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, guys. Thank you. I know episode 146 took a long time to get done. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for bearing with us. I know it's being released at a, a weird day, but you know, we're, we're committed to bringing you guys content and I had to get Joseph on cause I wanted to talk about buggy land and get some information about it. So enjoy this podcast. Thank you for your support. Thank you to all the, uh, the no name RC, the NNRC squad around the world. We guys can't do it without you leave those reviews. We like them. That's how we got Max's new name, arrogant max on the thing. Share this, help it go viral. We want to make RC cool. Let us know if you like it. If you don't like it, that's fine. Don't forget to sub and subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can watch this in video as well. That helps us out. Uh, thank you to the patrons of the NNRC. We can't do it without you guys. Thank you for all your support. <clears throat> you guys go the extra mile. We greatly appreciate that. And um, yeah, if you wish to be a patron, the link is in the written description of this podcast. And yeah, just thank you to all of our sponsors. You know, we we need you guys to show the sponsors love. Showing the sponsors some love, shows the podcast some love. So shout out to Mayako, High Tech RC, TNR Fuels, Techno RC, Beach RC, Lugs Racing Tires, JQ Racing or JQ Scale Motorsports, Papa Willie's Traction Tonic, Donathan RC, JQ Threads, Sun City RC Raceway. Uh, check out episode 147. That's coming out in a couple of days after this. We'll talk about the US Open. House of RC, Racecraft USA, sorry, RCGP, 
we can't do without this, guys. Remember, all links for these, all links for our socials, our YouTubes, anywhere you want to find with the NNRC squad are in the written description of this podcast. Also, in the link tree description, you can find everything there. Share this, guys. Remember, RC is awesome. You know what? I want to leave you guys with something before we leave. I had a long think about why I like RC. I like RC. You know what? RC has been so awesome to me. When I wake up every morning and I can talk to somebody different around the world about RC. When I meet somebody new and they're just getting into RC and their passion and all that type of stuff. RC is freaking awesome. Let's spread the word and get more people running and racing with us and it will make it better for everybody. So with that said, Nitro is the glory. E-Buggy pays the bills. If you ain't grinding and sliding, Lefty, JQ is already out. Enjoy this podcast. Spread the love. RC is awesome. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the No Name RC Podcast. We greatly appreciate all the support and love from you, the listeners. Without all of you, none of this is possible. Special thanks to our patrons on Patreon. If you wish to support the podcast further, you can at patreon.com forward slash NNRC Podcast. As a patron, you will receive early releases, special content, and Patron-only giveaways. Also, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and our website, www.nnrcpodcast.com. Remember, Nitro is the glory, but e-buggy pays the bills. If you aren't having fun, it doesn't make sense. And if you ain't grinding, you're sliding lefty out. Nitro is the glory, Nitro is the glory, Nitro is the glory.
wasn't so bad. 